World's Finest Podcast, Episode 16. Unfathomably broke co-host James Doe, and with me is Michael David Sims, the sick co-host. <laughs> uh huh. So we're just we're just a barrel of laughs right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, what's been going on with you lately? Uh, nothing much, you know. I mean, besides getting sick on like Saturday or Sunday, and then you know, it carrying over to the first day of this week, and me having to miss work. Not a whole lot, you know. Just trying to stay away from. Uh, stores now that we're into the you know you know christmas holiday whatever buying season yeah i so, know that yeah. but i've i've still managed to find my way into stores buying an xbox 360 and <laughs> halo 3 and rock band and putting myself about mm, 800 dollars and further into debt you did you bought rock band yes i did how much was that i've heard Hundred and seventy dollars for the okay. whole kit and caboodle because i heard it was going to be 200 so i wasn't i wasn't quite sure and I got no. I did get a uh, warranty on it, so it made it up to about two hundred. But oh, okay. you know, if any of the stuff gets screwed up, then I can go get a new one. <laughs> That's true. That is true. So, how's that game so far? Uh, it's great. It's a it's a ton of fun. It really is. And uh, I'm the I'm doing the drumming for with my friends. We're doing our, have our little band going here, and I'm doing the drums. And easy is great, but medium is kicking my ass. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say that it sounds it sounds pitiful, but damn. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm playing Guitar Hero three for the Wii, and I can do real good on easy. But the second I put it on medium, and you add that fourth button, the blue button, I just become all thumbs. I, I can't play that damn game on medium. I just can't do it. For some yeah. reason, I can't. I can't tell my pinky to to press that button at the right time. And if I try to shift my hand down so my ring finger presses it, then I have to shift it back so my index hits the first button when when need be, and it's it's crazy. I can't do it. It's pissing well, me that's off. Amazing. That's the same thing with me and hard. I can't play that orange note to save my life. Oh yeah. So I just stick with the drums right now. <laughs> but it's it's a fun game though, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it really is. We just need to get some more songs because we've we've been we've been playing like on we're on tour mode and we're playing the same songs over and over and over again in the like tour story mode and uh, we want to get some more songs. Damn it! How do so you? I'm probably gonna download some more when uh, when I get a chance. Oh wait, the song. How many songs come packed with the game? Like on the disc? Fifty something, I think. And how much do they uh, cost to download the extras? I mean, the points. It's a it's Xbox points. I think. There's a th- you can get a three pack of songs. You can get individual songs. Now, me of course, I'm going to download that Metallica pack, which is I think 440 points or something like that for three songs. What's in there? Uh, let's see. That'd be Injustice for All, Black End, and F- Ride the Lightning. I think. See, that's bullshit. I fucking hate this microtransaction bullshit. I fucking hate it so much. It's like just. 
just release the game with a couple of discs so we can get all the all that content. Don't make me buy shit so I can get further enjoyment out of the fucking thing. It pisses me off. I'm sorry. I know people do it, you know, and that means the companies won't stop doing it. But I, you know, I don't have a 360, but I will buy one when I have the money. And when I do, I absolutely refuse to take part in that. I think it's bullshit. Well, it is good in one way in that if you don't want to have, like, a bunch of songs that you don't like cluttering up your uh, your game, you can just get ones that you like. Mm-hmm. But, but overall, I think I agree with you there. I mean, if you're spending, let's just say $50 on the game or $60 on the game, we're not even talking about... The, the, the peripherals that pump this up to, you know, $170, okay, then they should just pack it with everything right there. I have no problem with downloadable content if it's free, but don't charge me for downloadable content. That's where I start taking issue with it. You know, and, you know, that goes for music games, racing games, any sort of games, you know. Don't, don't charge me to download a new gun. Don't charge me to download a new car or a new decal or, or new songs. Oh, it just, it just bugs the hell out of me. It really does. I hear you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to start the show on a down note. <laughs> oh, well. Hey, I started a down note. I'm broke. <laughs> I'm beyond broke. Yeah. No, I, I think I'm beyond broker than you. <laughs> well, I do have student loans on me on my, on my back, too, but mm-hmm. that's another story for another day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, uh, did you see what came out last week on DVD? Um... Not off the top of my head, what? The Batman Season 4 and Teen Titans Season 4. Oh, no, I did not Yes, I was going to buy them, but then I'm like, you know what? Wait, Christmas is like a month away. <laughs> you know? <laughs> this this is my problem, is when we get into the Christmas season, people ask me what I want, and I'm always like, I don't know, because I buy what I want. You know? So, it's like, n- normally, like, let's say... Uh, this time last year, let's say the second season of the Justice League came out. It probably didn't. I'm just saying, let's, let's say it did, you know. Instead of telling my mom or my dad or someone to go get that for me, I would just buy it myself. So this year, <laughs> I'm, I'm, so like that. I'm trying to be good, and I'm trying not to buy those two DVDs, and I'm going to try to remember to tell people, hey, this is what you could get me. So this way, I don't end up spending my own money on it and then leaving them with no idea of what to get me. But I really want that Teen Titans set. I mean, that's the one that has the three-parter, um, shoot, I just lost the name of it, The End, the Raven yes. one. It has that on there. It has Troc on there, that, that Starfire episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that episode so much. I cannot. I literally can't wait till we get to that one. I think that's one of my favorite episodes of Teen Titans. Um, Which one is Troc? Troc's the one where she, where the Titans meet that alien pilot, and he... Oh, the racist? Yeah, and he's uh, very yes. much racist against uh, Starfire's people. But I thought that was season five. I don't remember that being season four, but it's on that DVD, so it must have been four, so... Hmm, I thought there were only four seasons. No, there were five. Was the fifth one. Yeah, it did I go did to five, because in the fifth season, the Doom Patrol showed up. It gave kind of a brief history for... Beast Boy revealing that he was with the Doom Patrol before the Teen Titans, which is actually accurate according to uh, uh, comic book continuity. Uh, they reveal Beast Boy's l- uh, real name as being Garfield. Um, that's the one with Go, the origin of the Titans. It, it's it's a good season. It really is the fifth one. That is. Hmm. So, cool. and then I, I really want that that season of the Batman too because I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that's the season where they did a future episode that uh, shows Nightwing 
And, you know, I'm a mark for Nightwing, so. Yeah. I've only seen the first two seasons, so uh, I know nothing what happens after that. Yeah. Of the Batman. Yeah. Oh, so you want to get to some emails here? Oh, why not? Okay. Do you mind reading these? No. Okay. Um, let's see. First one is from Nick. Let's see. Nick writes, Mike, on your gripe of Joker being in the flashbacks in Mask of the Phantasm, you say Batman's intent is to cure all his rogues, and also James said, uh, saying in the case of the Joker, what's to stop Batman, and so on and so forth. With the Joker, that just doesn't apply. To quote Dan... I'm sorry, how do you, how do you pronounce his name? DiDio. DiDio? Yes. Okay. Dan DiDio, a character that represents anarchy, the randomness of crime, and the fact that Bruce lost his parents because of an act of random crime, Joker represents everything he hates. What I've always felt about the Joker-Batman dynamic is that Batman is such a huge disgust towards him that he fully that he knows fully well that the Joker can never be cured. I know that just proves your point of why doesn't Batman just kill him. I don't have an answer. <laughs> It'll just fall back on the moral dilemma. No, I mean, that that's the big problem right there, is he's right, is that Batman does hate the Joker, you know, because he does represent the randomness of crime, but that still doesn't mean that Batman doesn't want to cure him. You know, that's, that's you know, that's the, the, the internal conflict that Batman has. Does he end the Joker and save, you know, thousands of lives? Um, does he stop the torment that he's brought to, you know, the city and the world? Or does he, you know, at- actually attempt to try to cure him? You know, it's... It's a conflict that that is there in Batman, and it doesn't always come through. It depends on the writer, but it is there. He's right. Our next email is from Thomas Deha, who's written to us before. Hey, guys, working in vitro again, but wanted to give you some info input. Number one, concerning Rob Zombie's Halloween being released in August, that actually isn't a case of the production company steering clear of Saw franchise. Halloween H2O, the most successful film in the Michael Myers franchise, was released the last week in August, and Mustafa Akkad became convinced that this weekend was his lucky weekend. It's written in his contacts, and now that he's passed away, in the contracts with his son, that the films be released on this weekend. Huh, interesting. Well, thank you for that tidbit. Mm-hmm. Number two, concerning the Marvel cartoon universe, while I would agree with your contention that the, most of the 90s Marvel Universe cartoons aren't a coherent universe unto themselves, I would contend that the three series overseen by producer Tom Tanaranowitz, did I pronounce his name right? I have no idea. <laughs> I can okay. pronounce the Dio, de, de, de but I can't pronounce that. And now <laughs> I'm stammering over Dio for Christ's sakes. <laughs> Well, I'll go with what I said. Okay. The second seasons of the Fantastic Four and Iron Man and the first season of the Hulk were a very tightly knit continuity with things happening in one show affecting the other. Huh. This was particularly particularly obvious during the first season of the Hulk, where we saw an episode featuring an Iron Man not trusted by S.H.I.E.L.D. after the effects of the Armor War three-parter, and another episode directly addressing a Fantastic Four episode where Doctor Doom controlled the Hulk. Granted, one Tanarenowitz uh, was relieved of his duties, and the show were outsourced to DIC, and it all went to shit, but there you go. Well, I, I, <laughs> I honestly have to take his word for it. Um, James, are you familiar with those cartoons? Honestly, the last time I saw any of those cartoons was probably mm, ten years ago. So Exactly. That's the same thing with me. So, you know, I didn't remember there being a, a tight continuity between them. But if there was, if uh, Thomas is correct here, then, you know, I stand corrected on my previous statement. Mm-hmm. Likewise. Number three, concerning Sideshow. I'm not a fan of the episode, but I always wondered if Bruce Timm had seen a British film directed by Carol Reed called The Fallen Idol. The arc of Croc and Seal Boy is too close to the storyline of this film for comfort. 
Considering Tim's belief in referencing and paying tribute to things he loves, I have to wonder if this episode and the Superman episode action figures later on were his tip of the hat to this minor masterpiece. Um, I don't know. I've never seen the movie. I've never heard of it, so once again, I have to take your word for it. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised because, yes, Tim is obviously famous for that. Yeah. Uh, number four, concerning a bullet for Bullock, I love this one especially since it was one of a handful of episodes directly adapted from comics, in this case an issue of Detective written by then-popular bat scribe Alan Grant, who created the ventriloquist as, a, as well as other interesting 1990s bat bad guys like Anarchy and Victor Zaz. I also find it amusing how, even when you guys start talking, I am able to identify the episode you're about to review because of the distinctive <laughs> title card music. <laughs> I'm sure there are more things I'll want to natter on about later, but... I'll come back to them later. Sincerely, Tom, who liked Trial as dumb as it was. I, I, did, I did too, Tom. I did too. Uh, I don't know uh, how you guys could like that episode, but to each their own, yeah? It's funny. Not really. Anyways, who's the next one from? All right, all right. Hey, it's from Nick again. Yeah. Hello, Mike and James, fellow podcast affiliates. I posted your link to World's Finest Podcast on my, oh, to your World's Finest Podcast forum on my official Blazing Geeks website. Thank, Thank you, you very much. One question I have is when, your offic- when is your official set for <laughs> World's Finest Podcast coming? <clears throat> Mike, do you want to field this? <clears throat> when Mike gets off his lazy ass. Um, you know, I meant to launch it when the podcast launched, and I didn't. And now it's just sort of sitting on the back burner. Really what it boils down to is I need to come up with a distinct design for it. And I also want to figure out what we're going to do with the site. Is it just going to be a place where old episodes are archived? Are there going to be written reviews of the episodes? Are there going to be reviews of the comic books that tie into this universe? Um you know, what's going to be on there? What are we going to do with it? Once I figure all that out, um, then I'll finally launch it. I'm sorry it happens, hasn't happened already. That's all I can really say. You know, every every time I, I, you know, look at that website, I'm like, why the hell haven't I launched this yet? I really should have, so sorry. On the email about Joker's backstory in Mask of the Phantasm, I never really dug the killing joke for two reasons. One, they establish him as a married man with a yet unborn child, and it gives off the impression that he was once a good person. I know that could be the whole multiple choice thing, but I don't like it. My personal opinion of the Joker, what was depicted in Batman 89, I know Mike, (laughs) and Batman the Animated Series, and what I've always felt in the comics was he's like Michael Myers from Halloween, not the dumb uh, Rob Zombie remake. Hey, it wasn't that bad. The remake really wasn't that bad is he was always a bad seed from the very beginning. And, number two, I've completely agreed that after all the shit that Gordon goes through in the story at the end, totally out of left field, Batman starts laughing. It's fine for Batman to chuckle like at the end of Joker's favor, but that's going way too far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we really have to note that the origin that we see in the killing joke, okay, it has since... Other writers have since, you know, know, picked up the ball and run with it. And DC has sort of accepted it as the Joker's true origin. However, we have to remember that multiple choice line. I wrote this at the forum recently. You know, you know, the day before the killing joke, the Joker might have thought he was a police officer before he became the Joker. The day after the killing joke, he might think that he was a pilot before the accident. Okay? We don't know. 
his origin, he doesn't know his origin. The only reason the killing joke has stuck around for so long as the Joker's quote-unquote true origin is because it was written by Alan Moore. Had it been written by anybody else, I guarantee you that it would have been washed out of continuity a long time ago. So even though DC is currently accepting it as the origin of the Joker, there's going to come a day where they're going to say, you know what, no, it's not that, and they're just going to say, and they're just going to forget it. They're just going to leave it as a possible origin for him. So, you know, your idea that he's always been a bad seed may be true. You don't have to accept the killing joke as fact if you don't want to. The only thing that you have to accept as fact from the killing joke is that whoever the Joker was before he became the Joker was someone named the Red Hood. Okay, Whether he was the Red Hood for a long time or whether he was the Red Hood for one day, it doesn't matter. He put on a costume, called himself the Red Hood, got the shit kicked out of him by Batman, fell into a vat of chemicals, came out the Joker. That's all you have to accept. Everything else, you could, you could erase it. Fill in the blanks. Right, exactly. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Batman laughing at the end of The Killing Joke has always irked me. I wrote a review of The Killing Joke over at Earth2.net. Uh, I wrote that a long time ago, and that was the one gripe I had with the book, is that, you know, you've got Gordon, who's, you know, essentially one of Batman's closest friends, his his best ally in his war on crime, and, you know, he's been put through this horrendous day, and at the end of it all, Batman's all like, ha, 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 at the Joker's joke. And it's like, I understand what they're getting at, that Batman was just venting, basically. He needs to vent from time to time, and that's what was happening there, but it just didn't feel right, not after everything that happened to Gordon. I mean, you have to think about this. Batgirl was shot through the spine, so Batgirl's, her career is done. You know, her life has forever been changed. If you actually look into the story, it could be suggested, I'm stressing could, because I know someone's going to write in and argue with me on this, that she was even raped by the Joker, okay, because he strips her clothes off. Mm-hmm. And it's kept off panel. Um, I believe people associated with the book have said that she's that she wasn't raped, but you could read it that way. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying which way I think it goes. I'm just saying that's the way you could read it. You know, Joker uh, Gordon is then forced to watch all this. You know, he's beat up. He himself is stripped naked. He's put through all this torture. You know, so he has this day like this, and Batman just laughs at the end. It doesn't work for me. No, it's kind of coming at worst time. Right. So, moving on, he says, Something I wanted to bring up in my email response to episode 14 in your first episode, you couldn't remember who was the composer for the show. It was done by the late Shirley Walker, who had previously worked with Danny Elfman. Did you know that she scored the Flash TV series also? I never knew it until I saw the beginning credits of the Captain Cold episode. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, It's music to my ears that you're not going to review Superman Brainiac Attacks. I will never watch that movie. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) I really wish that you guys also... Didn't review that you would not review Mystery of the Batwoman after I saw the movie the same day I bought it. I watched the behind the scenes featurette, Alan Burnett talking about exploring the lighter side of Batman. I realized that the movie sucked. The only good things about it are Bullock's dislike of high society, the Iceberg Lounge song, Guilty Pleasure, and the well done Chase Me Short. Well, you know, it is in continuity, that's the problem. So we do have to cover it. You know, Brainiac, Brainiac Attacks. It's not in continuity. At least everything I've read suggests that it's not. But Mystery of the Batwoman, it is there, so we do have to talk about it. I've never seen it, so I can't, at this moment, I can't give my opinion on it, though. I've seen it, and from what I remember, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, maybe I should watch it again. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, he goes on to say, on the episode reviews, this really felt bizarro-ish. <laughs> ah, bizarro mode. That was fun. Yeah. On the first half, I agree, and the second half, I absolutely disagree with your opinions. On Sideshow, something I should have brought up in your review for Vendetta, I always like this character model of Killer Croc, over, over the look in the new Batman Adventures. He's too reptilian, whereas in the first series, he's more human with reptile features, and felt that it could work in a realistic Nolan universe. What do you think? I think uh, Killer Croc could probably work in a Nolan movie, if if he's more human than Croc. Than uh, reptilian, I think. Uh, I don't know. He's a little too. He could. It could be a minor kind of villain, like Zaz was used in uh, the first first movie. I mean, if they set it up that he was a carnival uh, sideshow freak, you know, uh, born with some birth defect that made him look this way, made him super strong, and they actually explored it in a very human and a very real way. Sure, I could buy it, but I'm not sure I'd want to see it. There's other villains to tackle before him, better villains. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Right, so could it be done? Yes, but I don't think it should be done. Though, if they were ever to introduce, and I know Nolan doesn't want to, but if they were ever to introduce Dick Grayson slash Robin, who of course was a carny himself, in the same stroke they could introduce Killer Croc. He could have been from the same circus. So there could be a tie between Croc and Grayson if they were going to do it. But Nolan's flat out said there will be no Robin. So, Well, there you go with that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Mike, great observation with the don't judge a book by its cover opposition. Thank you. Um, on a bullet for bullet, the score is one of the best scores in the series. No, Completely agree. No, the best, not one of. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. The film noir themes make you feel like you're living and breathing in, uh, living and breathing in Gotham City, and Shirley Walker was a magnificent composer. Couldn't agree more. You missed the part where Batman pulls the disappearing act on Bullock, and he says, I wonder how Gordon puts up with this. I, we didn't mention that? No, I don't think we did. Wow. Yeah. Because that's, yeah, that really is one of the best parts of the episode. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I feel, feel kind of weird that we didn't mention that. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it's... You know, it's one of those things we probably should have mentioned, because you do, you know, when Bullock says that, it does make you realize all the shit Gordon puts up with with Batman. I mean, as I said a little while ago, Batman and Gordon are great allies, but Batman's always taking evidence, and he's just disappearing on Gordon mid-conversation. He takes a lot of stuff for granted. Yeah, he does. And Gordon, you know, any day of the week, Gordon could turn around and bust Batman. He could totally throw him in Arkham and arrest him on numerous uh, 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 charges of assault, breaking and entering, anything he wanted to. So Batman should tread a little more lightly around Gordon. Mm-hmm. About the end with the landlord, James says he gets pissed off. That's true, but I always got the vibe at the end he cracked under pressure for taking Bullock's comments too personally, because he says in his mad rant, you insult me, you treat me like dirt, a case of low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I do agree with that. Um, I think I was just using it to sum, sum up what, what he had been going through the whole episode, because we really didn't talk much about the landlord no. in our review. But yeah, all throughout the episode, he, he, was, <laughs> you know, he was insulted by Bullock nonstop, you know, tracked mud all over his carpet that was just clean, stuff like that, and it you know, piles up and piles up until you just snap. Yeah. Um, let's see. Aside from Almost Got Him, Trial is the second best rogues gallery episode. I don't get the clusterfuck you kept saying, Mike. You know, it's just, there were just too many characters, and 
you know, all of them, or most of them were, were vying for screen time, and you can't have that. You know, you could have all the characters around sitting in the background, but you can't have all of them trying to get in little jokes and little lines, because it, it just doesn't work, and it's going to end up being a clusterfuck, and that's exactly what happened. I'll, I'll, I, I'm going to hold true to that one. There are two things about this episode that this episode highlighted. First, it showcased Poison Ivy's obsession with plants, kind of similar to Batman being obsessive about the mission. Mm-hmm. The second thing was Van Dorn. She represented the outside world looking in, and through the episode, she grows to understand it. First, she gets kidnapped. Then she meets Gotham's previous district attorney. Look what happened to him. And lastly, being Batman's defense and the speech she gives at the end that these people would have ended up the same way and that their kind created Batman. Well, you were, you were the one that hated this episode, so what do you say? Uh, I'm not, what, I don't understand what the point, what am I supposed to be addressing here? I don't understand. Well, it seems to me that he's saying that, uh, he's, uh, you hated Van Dorn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I guess he's trying to. Well, it's all, uh, all around, I hated everything about the episode, so. Yeah. You know, Van Dorn, the, the story, you know, the characterization, well, pretty you, much everything. I mean, the only thing I, I really liked was the Irish Joker. <laughs> well, you said, uh. That you didn't understand how she just so quickly turns around. I guess that's what he's trying to uh, say here is how he can justify her changing her tune so quickly. Well, I think, you know, go over to the Earth2.net forum. Someone there, I don't remember if it was Mixie or Malpractice or someone else, better outlined uh, Van Dorn's stupidity. Do you remember who did that, James? I want to say it was malpractice, but I don't know for sure. Okay, yeah. Nick, if you're not already a member of the forums, and if you are, I I do apologize for not remembering your your handle here, Um, head over to the World's Finest uh, section of the Earth2.net forums and go into the uh, Episode 15 feedback thread, and this is addressed by a member there, and it's it's done better than I could on the air, and unfortunately I don't have it uh, pulled up on my screen or printed out handy for me to read on the air. But yeah, just just go there and read that, and you'll see uh, why that episode is really so bad, and why Van Doren's, you know, about face is just pathetic. Okay, so he goes on to say, In Avatar, it seemed to me, not knowing Rachel Ghoul's motive, you gave it a bad review. The goal, well, that is not the only reason we gave it a bad review. Yeah. <laughs> the goal was to learn the secret of eternal life. Okay. Because unlike Vandal Savage, Raish's immortality won't last forever. I also think this episode highlights Talia's loyalties to both the man she loves and her father, which was always the dilemma with the Bruce-Talia relationship in the comics. It's still a bad episode. Yeah, it's still a horrible, horrible episode. Because there's just so much stuff that didn't make sense. Yeah. I mean... Not the least of which was dropping that statue on top of her, but a grenade (laughs) doesn't hurt her. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can accept you know, one little piece of an episode not making sense or one thing being kind of bad and everything else making up for it. But that episode from start to finish just was not good at all. I mean, I I don't want to say too much more about it because we spoke about it at length in our last episode. So it just just wasn't good. And in House and Garden, I felt Mike's sarcasm coming a mile away. (laughs) I liked this episode. The music was great. The animation was solid and overall... And the overall Poison Ivy story, it seemed to me that this shows humanizing the villain, despite her dark, twisted way of showing it. Pamela desires to have a normal life, get married, and have kids, and where she cries on the photograph at the end says it all. See, okay, this is the thing that I think most people are missing. She didn't want a family at first. I think once she had a family, and she realized what she could have had, what she has now lost because she can never not be a demented criminal. I think that's why she started crying. 
I don't think... Okay, think about this. She flat out says that she married the doctor, because she really did marry that guy, okay? She flat out says she only married him to use him. So she never loved him. She never wanted to be with his daughters. She never wanted... It really, the only thing she wanted for him, from him was his quote-unquote raw genetic code or whatever she said, okay? Spare parts or something. Yeah. So that, that, that's all she wanted from him. That is it. So... But I think what happened was when she was actually living that lie, she started to sort of believe it. And at the end, when it was all taken away from her, and it was her fault that it was taken away, because she chose to do the things that she did, then she felt bad. You know, it was one of those uh, moments of you don't know what you have until you lost it. That's mm-hmm. what happened there. She, doesn't, she didn't want a family, but now at the end, she's like, oh, I could have had one, and I fucked up. So that, that's my take on it. And our next one, our next email is from Doug Parker. Uh, hey guys, I've been a big fan of the show since the beginning. Thank you. Awesome, thank you. I love listening to you guys talk about my favorite universe, but one problem, I love the show, but my parents don't enjoy cussing. Could you tone it down a bit, like instead of shit, sometimes replace that with shot or crap or crud? You know, stuff like that. Um, no. Here's, yeah, here's the thing. I take the Penn and Teller uh, point of view as relates to swearing. It's, it's just... It's language. There's nothing in any any law that I have ever seen in any state constitution that says that the words shit or fuck or whatever else are illegal. It's just it's it's the English language. Uh, that's that's just my point of view about it. Yeah, for me, it really boils down to this: if an episode is so bad that it's causing me to say that it fucking sucks and this piece of shit and all this and mm-hmm. that, okay. I want to be free to say that. I don't want to have to censor myself and then say, this terrible episode was a piece of garbage. I don't want to think about that because, you know, would it be more proper to speak that way? Sure, definitely it would. But I want my raw emotion to come through. And if my raw emotion, you know, dictates me, you know, cursing, then that's just the way it is. I really just don't want to censor myself. I never have, not as a writer, not as a podcaster. You know, I, I taught I, I taught at a college for three years, and I didn't even censor myself then in front of my class. I mean, it helped that it was a liberal arts college, and, you know, mm-hmm. you get away with pretty much anything you wanted. Um, but I, I, just, I just don't like doing it. And, you know, if your parents take offense to uh, our language, you know, I'm sorry that they feel that way. But I just, I just absolutely refuse to censor myself. So yeah. it's, um, um, you know, I thought about this. Uh, this, this email came in a couple of days ago, and I kept thinking about how I was going to address it. You know, because I don't want to come off like a snob. Like I refuse to censor myself. It's really not me being that way. It really simply is that I, j- I just want that raw emotion to come through. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know, we're two of the most rabid anti-censorship people you'll ever come mm-hmm. across. Um, now, in my, those movie reviews that I do all the time, I make it a point not to not to swear in those, but that's that's just the, because of the theme uh, that I take when I do that. Um, and that's it's completely different. It's just my that's how my, I like my writing style to be. This is just this is spur of the moment kind of stuff mm-hmm. where you know I'm gonna it's gonna happen. Yeah. So yeah, I mean we have notes, but we don't have a script that we're going off of. Right. So it's not like, you know, we, we write something out beforehand and, you know, we're just reading it back and forth. That's, that's not what we're doing. As James said, it's just all off the cuff. Um, 
So if, if it gets raw, if it gets blue from time to time, that's, that's really just the way it is. Um, I do have a question for Doug, though, and uh, he can either post this at the forums because he has joined the forums, or he can write in again. Um, but I, I'm interested to know if, you know, Doug, do your parents listen with you, or is it just a case of you know your parents don't like cursing and you're afraid that they're going to find out that you're listening to a podcast where there is cursing? Because I think it would be really cool if his parents are listening with him. Yeah, and we're glad... We're glad that he sent that in right. because that's, I think that's something we've wanted to address, but nobody's you know uh, asked us about it before. So right. great. He goes on to say, "I love this show. Cannot say that enough." Um, also, you guys were questioning why did Poison Ivy not make the girl clones in House and Garden? Well, my answer is that to make the girls, they would need the wives to make them look quote unquote correct. Also, she needs the clone of the husband. But my last argument for this is that the bloody kids. This is a this is a bloody kids show. Do you think the censors would allow girl monsters? Even if they were deformed, a monster without a shirt who is a bloody girl? Probably not going to happen. And remember the scene where the husband is transforming? First his shirt is ripped off. Do you think they would allow a woman to get away with that? No, you, they wouldn't. But they they explained... I don't. Did they explain in that episode why, that she, why is it that she couldn't have girl clones? Because they... They just say that she can't, and then she makes a clone of herself, which I called them out on. Right, exactly. I mean, frankly, she could have made clones of herself, baby clones. And the fact that they looked like young versions of Pamela Isley, that's fine, because she's supposed to be... Oh, no, I guess it wouldn't work because she wouldn't be the girl's... She's technically not the girl's mother, so she shouldn't look like them, huh? There, there, there is a little something to that now that I think about it. But so what if they if they look like Pam, they could just say, "Oh, it's a coincidence." Sometimes you just look like people you're not related to. So she yeah. she could have made girl clones, and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal if they looked like her. Oh, it's just a coincidence. As for a girl monster and the shirt thing, all I have to say is, you know, Man Bat Woman. Th- yeah. th- I mean, she exactly. she transformed into a, a man bat or a female bat or whatever we're going to call her, and her shirt stayed on. So just because she transformed doesn't mean her shirt has to rip off. Furthermore, look at She-Hulk. You know, when the Hulk transforms, all his clothes, except his conveniently placed purple pants, rip off. But She-Hulk, the Hulk's cousin, when she transforms, and, and I'm talking in the beginning, in the 70s when she was first created... She would transform much like her cousin, but her shirt would always stay on covering her breasts. So they just would have had to, you know, change change it so that the shirt didn't rip off if the monsters were indeed female. That's all. It's not hard to do. No. Okay. Also, I have an excuse for Killer Crocs getting dumber and dumber in each episode. Obviously, he would get a blow to the head by Batman <laughs> and would lose some IQ points and regain them later. Hmm, that's kind of a stretch. <laughs> Makes a little sense though. There's only so many blows to the head you can take before you start to, before it kind of starts to show, you know. But along those same lines, if you're going to say that about Croc, you have to say that about Batman, the Joker, and it is and everybody. Batman. I mean, Superman and like Bane are pretty much like the only guy. You know, maybe Darkseid. You know, those really tough alien guys are the only ones who aren't going to start showing some mental deterioration from blows to the head. So if you're going to say it about Croc. And I do, I do like that uh, reasoning there. You just kind of have to say it about everybody else. Yeah, and, and because apparently Joker, who's been hit in the head so many times by Batman in this series, he probably has regenerating brain cells. <laughs> also, about the Beyonder Spider-Man episode, yes, it was in the last season, and that set up the whole Clone Wars 3 part of the end of the series. Well, anyway, thanks for your time, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks. Appreciate it, Doug. Yep. 
And I think we have one more also from Doug. Let's see if I can pull it up. Oh, here. you know what? He answered my question here. What? I, in a PS, he says that his mom doesn't listen to the podcast, but he wanted to say, hi, mom. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even see that. So <laughs> that, um, that, that answers my question. He, he isn't listening with his family. He's just listening to a show that he knows he shouldn't be listening to. <laughs> dun, dun, Shame dun, dun. on you. <laughs> we won't tell if you don't, Doug. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Doug's uh, email here uh, relates to episode 8. Hey guys, I believe you forgot one of the worst things about Joker's Wild. Remember when Batman is tied to the giant gambling machine? He pushed a button on his belt, and the main part, the buckle, which is often cracked in half when Bruce is putting it on, slides out of Batman's freaking stomach and pulled out a grapple gun. That's right, Batman has a big gap in his stomach where some special parts should be or something. God, I hated that episode. Yeah, what he's referring to there is, if you think about it, whenever Batman is seen putting his belt on, it connects at the center. It snaps shut. But in that one particular episode, he actually, in, in previous episodes, he's always lifted up what would be the buckle. And there's been, like, a card in there or a little computer pad. But that's mm-hmm. fine, because you could say that when he puts the belt together, the computer pad or the buckle or whatever, you know, it, it's, it just comes together. But in that one, when he flips open the front, the front that would normally crack apart, apart there's a big old grappling gun in there. You know how normally he keeps the grappling gun yeah, off? I rem- I, I'm remembering it right, now. Normally he keeps the grappling gun off to his right or left side in one of the pouches. But in that one, he pulls it straight out of the buckle. So how can you justify him having this big old rectangle right at his midsection where he could keep something so big. That's something I can't believe we didn't catch because the only way that would work is if the grappling gun, uh, uh, like, you know, used some sort of shrinking particles or folded in on itself, and it clearly doesn't do that. So nice catch there, Doug. That's really good. Our first episode today is the Terrible Trio, and before I say anything, I'm 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 just going to go ahead and say that uh, not only is this the worst BTAS episode ever, uh, it might be the worst DCAU episode ever. Well, um, I think we're saying that without having seen Static Shock and the Zeta Project. Yeah, well, that's why I added, added the mite in there. Right, because we're both, I've seen some Static Shock and I've seen some Zeta, I don't know about you though. Yeah, I've seen st- a lot of static. Okay, but none of the Zeta Project as of yet. Okay, but um, but having not seen those, I'm in agreement with you that this is bar none the worst, absolute worst. So anyway, what happens in this can, episode? Can, can we just move on to uh, the next episode from there? <laughs> we're a minute in and we're done with an episode. <laughs> wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be great? But no, we okay. have an obli- We have our damn obligation here. Okay, we have to actually explain why it's bad. Yes. Oh, shucks. Hey, it, hey I, I treat this kind of like a Tranquil Tirades episode, <laughs> fr- okay. quite frankly. Okay. So, anyway, what happens in this uh, pitiful excuse for an episode is... Abortion. Thank you. That's perfect word. Uh, these three douchebag frat boys who, for some reason, hang out with Bruce Wayne <laughs> and, uh, like, go around dressed up as a vulture, a shark, and a fox and go around robbing people just basically for the hell of it. They're bored, that's it. Yeah, that's it. They're just bored. And that's really it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That is all. That is the plot of this entire episode. Uh, you know, In there we get uh, this chick uh, who's like the daughter of this rich guy that Bruce Wayne knows, and uh, she, the, her voice actor couldn't act to save her life. Uh-huh. And um, 
yeah, they, the the three frat boys try to run a train on her or something. I don't I don't know what the hell's going on up in that cabin. But yeah, that's about it. Well, one of them I don't think was trying to run a train on her. Well, I mean the 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 head the guy the fox guy uh-huh. he he definitely was thinking that. Well, he was dating her, so mm-hmm. you know he he had thoughts in his head. But those other two guys, the fox's sidekicks, I don't know. There might have been something going on with them too. Yeah, who knows? At least one of them I suspected was uh, not exactly looking up her skirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh. Might have been going out of his way to avoid it. Exactly, exactly. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, no, not We're at all. are just saying that one of them, at least one of them, was, uh, yeah, playing for yeah. the other team, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Oh, so where do we start with this one? Uh, how about the title? Okay. Honestly, I th- I think the title of this episode should have been the terrible animation spectacular. Oh God, yes! This was some of the most pathetic animation in the entire series, mm-hmm. and even even the music was lackluster. And that's something we have never said about any episode mm-hmm. yet, have we? I don't think I don't th- so. I don't think we've criticized the music at all in any episode, no matter even in Moon of the Wolf. Uh, but even in this episode, even the music was just, you know, kind of dull, not really, you know, adding anything into the episode. So, I mean, that's how you know an episode is just the, sh- the drizzling shits. Um, you know, really, I think this episode, to me, it seemed less like a cartoon and more like a 22-minute an- anti-capitalist election ad. <laughs> it really did. Every It's like... Rich people are all douchebags, and, uh, you know, it, it, I, I felt like I was watching an episode of Captain Planet. Um, but overall, really nothing in this episode makes any lick of sense. Uh, Bruce likes to skeet shoot? Yeah, explain uh, that one. Please? I mean, okay, we understand that Batman doesn't like guns, and Bruce probably isn't as overt about it, but at the same time... I just find it hard to believe that he'd be, he'd be out casually shooting. He, he's got to be an anti-gun activist in some regard. So to him, for him to be sporting, I just I just don't buy it, you know. But at the same time, I do buy that Batman is an expert marksman. Yeah, it's been established in the comics at least that Batman does know how to shoot. In fact, there was a flashback sequence where uh, he and Robin were training with guns, and Robin's like, "I thought we don't like guns," and he's like, "Just because we don't like them." doesn't mean we don't know about them. It means, and respect their power. Right, we respect their power, we fear their power. So he was teaching them how to throw a gun. He might have even been teaching them how to fire it. That part I could be wrong about. But So Batman knows a lot about guns, but he still hates them. And I just don't buy Bruce openly sporting. You know, it just seems so weird. Mm-hmm. And I, he, I, I just totally see him as an anti-gun activist. So, yeah, that, that was just wrong. I mean, later on, he even tells Lex Luthor to his face, I don't like guns. Right. And in, and in the episode where he goes blind, he doesn't he say something about having qualms about the helicopter having guns on it? Yeah, in the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Uh, and we question why he even allowed it to happen. Right, yeah. There's no way he would have let Wayne Tech even make that thing. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, there's all kinds of just stupid stuff like that happening throughout this episode. Like, you know, the guy's... I mean that yeah that's what I'd do I'd just speed away right in front of the cops instead yeah. of going around around back or through a side street or something you know, let's just go right in front of the cops so they can see your license plate and everything else yeah because what happened the, the, the okay the joint was just robbed but why were the cops on the scene I don't quite remember 
God. Was there, there wasn't an explosion or something, was there? No. no the, the explosion was on the pier earlier. Was that, was, was that when the, the old money fat guy got knocked out? Is that when yeah, it was? Yeah, that was it. he tried calling the cops, but they, they broke the line, but he still got half a call in. That's right. So the right. cops showed up, and as the cops are showing up, you're right. They go peeling around a corner, and all the cops and the doorman all look like, hmm, could those be the suspects? No, that's not them. Let's not follow. And they just. Yeah, let's just stand there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just so stupid. Oh. Let's see. What's next on my, uh, this didn't make uh, a bit of sense list. Um, let's see. Why was there a piece just conveniently missing from that rail up on the mountain? You know, where they dropped the car off the cliff there? Oh, There's just it was a piece. broken before she. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was broken before they that. even got up there. Well, clearly someone's already died then. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess it is a dangerous mountain. But it was so clean cut. Hmm, I have to wonder. I didn't notice that. Oh, it makes sense because how else would they have pushed it off? So, duh on me for not noticing it. Uh, let's see. What's next? What's next? Or do you have something while I'm thinking? No, you, you go right ahead. I mean, this is when you are on. When you get okay. to go into tank, tranquil tirades mode, you are like, boom, I, I don't want to interrupt you. You keep going, okay. sir. <laughs> um, let's see. I already mentioned the terrible voice acting from that chick, whatever the hell her name was. I think it was Becky. Becky, yeah. Yeah, that it was like every every time she spoke, it's like, oh, you you hurt my father. How could you? Oh, what? Why are you doing this? It's wow, emotion and lots of it. <laughs> and let's see next. Uh, why was Robin out in the Batwing with a broken arm uh, when he when later on in Riddler's reform he gets his leg broken and he doesn't go anywhere? Uh, but to, to the episode's credit. At least they did fix that up with some dialogue. They did, but it still doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense, but I have a feeling that was dialogue that was added in later. Like, they realized the mistake they made. Like, oh, shit. Like, oh, my God, Robin shouldn't be in the plane. He, he just survived an explosion. Oh, I know. Let's add this line in real quick. Because what's he say? He says something like, sure, leave me to fly the plane with one arm. Mm-hmm. Even though he clearly has no sling on in that moment. <laughs> but, yes, so, again, to their credit... Okay, it doesn't make sense, but at least to their credit, they did try to cover their asses. Yeah. Um, but the biggest one of all, people like these are worse than the Joker. <laughs> Bullshit! <laughs> uh, wow, that that line, as soon as I heard it, I just dropped my pen and buried my head in my hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, no, 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 no. Yeah, let's see, people who rob because they're bored... And up until now, really didn't hurt anybody. They was just, you know what I mean? They did yeah. kind of go over the edge at, at the end there. But until that point, they didn't hurt anybody versus someone who has killed thousands of people. Yeah, they're clearly worse. Oh. That, I think that line alone could get this episode, you know, uh, down in the, you know, two, three range. But mm-hmm. then you add all, everything else in. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah. The... This this episode is so bad it makes me want to take uh, the next episode's grade down. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. I actually did. When we get to our scores at the end of this episode, I may have to. You know how sometimes we'll mention that as talking. You know, as we talk it through, our grades went up or down. Mm-hmm. As we talk our way through the next episode, I my grade may have to change because I think I was harsher on it because I was so pissed off having seen the terrible trio. 
I actually should have paused the DVD, walked away for like an hour or so, completely <laughs> forgot that I watched it, and then came back to the next episode. So I was coming in fresh, absolutely clean, with with no anger in my heart. So I really do think that the, the score for my next, the, the the original score that I gave the next episode was affected by my feelings for the terrible trio. Yeah, because there is not a, not a single redeemable. F- Thing in this entire episode. <laughs> That's the very last note I wrote here. I go, episode has no redeeming values! Exclamation <laughs> point! <laughs> um, the only thing in this entire episode that I kind of chuckled at mm-hmm. was the very end of the episode where I, I wrote a note that said, hey, hey, he's going to get ass raped. <laughs> but that's not even enough for, uh, you know, morbid comedy value. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing actually that I chuckled at was uh, in the beginning when Batman and Robin uh, first encounter the terrible trio, uh, Robin doesn't throw a batarang, he throws an R, which I thought was really cool. He, hmm, he, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he throws, he, he throws something at one of the guys, and if you look, when it sticks in the wall, it's an R, which, of course, you know, it's Robin, so it makes sense. So that was kind of cool, I thought, but that's like... You know that that's it. That's the only thing I laughed at at all. That's like that's like a five second. Oh, hey, that's kind of cool moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you just you just move on from there, and you start going. Wait a minute, none of this makes sense. It looks ugly. The acting's terrible. I mean, uh, like right off the bat, one of my biggest gripes with this episode is, okay, Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo, encounters the terrible trio. Ooh, originality, and. Mm-hmm. Okay, they, Robin goes after the trio because uh, they're heading towards their boat. They, they zip down a line, they're going towards their boat, and Robin goes to follow them. And Batman tells Robin to stop. He just instinctively knows that there's a trap on this pier. I, I don't know how when Batman gains psychic powers, but he just knows this. He Dude, tells we, already, we already established that, uh, like, you know, six or seven episodes ago that he has psychic powers. I mean, remember, it was during the episode of WFP where we were discussing how he has the power of Thor and uh, he knows Storm and, yes. uh, you know, all that stuff. That is true. That is true. I can't remember specifically how we remember that he has psychic powers, but I know we've established that Batman is a psychic. Yeah, someone, you know, one of our listeners, do write in either through email or at the forums and uh, let us know what we said about uh, him being psychic, if you would. Because um, I do remember us, I think it was you, actually, speaking about that, but I, don't, I also don't quite remember what it was about. But anyway, yeah. so Batman yells at Robin to stop, and at that point the camera pans down and we see some dynamite that the terrible trio has set up in advance just in case something like this was going to happen. There's no way guys this arrogant would ever think that they would get in this deep of trouble, that they would need to set a trap like this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, these are not plan B kind of guys. No, these are like, you know, we're going to rob from people because we're bored and we're not going to get caught because, ha, 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 we're young and we're rich, you know. Nothing's going to stop us. They would not have that. Okay, so setting that aside, even if you believe that they would have a plan B, Fox was closer to the explosion than Robin was. Yet Robin is the one who's affected by the bomb. And even if Fox wasn't closer to the explosion, he's still only a few feet away with the other guys. I mean, it, the explosion blows up that dock, and, and the, the dock that that boat is attached to. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Yet none of those guys get shrapnel or burns or anything. And Robin is knocked out, has a broken arm. I think at one almost point drowns. He, yeah, almost drowns. I believe at one point he even has a bandage on his head. 
And it's just like, come on. It was so stupid from start to finish, that scene. Never, never mind the whole episode. Oh. It's, I, I swear, someone please go and watch that scene and let me know who's closer, Robin or Fox. Because I insist Fox was closer to that explosion than Robin. I almost think Fox was standing on top of the dynamite. <laughs> but, yeah, nothing happens to him. Oh, Jesus Christ. He's, he's the all-powerful frat boy. <laughs> Hey, that would make for a funny superhero now, wouldn't it? <laughs> the frat boy. <laughs> now, what happens later in the episode is that the terrible trio, they decide to rob uh, Becky's father. They're going to they're gonna get him. Um, uh, basically, what happens is that Becky buys some, like, $5,000 dress, and she's fretting that, you know, Daddykins is going to basically get all pissed off and take the money Except that she's not. She's kind of laughing about it, too. Right, exactly. (laughs) So Fox, he writes Becky a check and uh, to to cover the expenses so she doesn't get in trouble. And that's when he decides, hey, let's go rob, quote-unquote, Daddykins because this way we'll get our money back. Okay, you know, sort of an interesting plan. Well, they're kicking the shit out of him because they didn't think he'd be home. But he shows up and he's got, does he have a shotgun or a baseball bat? He has a gun, a rifle, I think. Yeah, a rifle, that's it, right. He's got a rifle and they start beating him up. And as Fox is kicking the hell out of him, he pulls out uh, the, the old man's like tie pin or hat pin or something and he flicks it away. He clearly flicks it away before they run away. Okay, so then the old man ends up in the hospital. Becky's mourning. Oh, my God, what happened? Blah, 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 blah. Fox, you know, out of his Fox persona, is pretending that he's all mournful over what's happened to this old man. He's like, hey, let's go to the mountains. We'll have a retreat. It'll be a gay old time. <laughs> so they go up there, and at one point, Becky starts crying, and he pulls out trying to play the sensitive boyfriend, he pulls out his handkerchief, and out of the handkerchief falls the hat pin or tie pin or whatever it was. And she's like, how did you get my father's pin? Well, okay, I'm going to stop right there just for now, because there's more that I want to say beyond that point. But up to this point, I have to ask, how did he get the pin? He clearly flicked it away. He's... Uh, cl- Clearly, he he picked it back up, because it's worth so much money. That, that's my point. It's like... <laughs> If he just would have held it in his hand and didn't flick it away, then I would say, oh, he just put it in his pocket off camera. But because he clearly flicks it away, I can't accept that off camera he picked it up and stuffed it in his pocket. Do you dig what I'm saying there? Mm -hmm. Okay, so then from that point forward, instead of making up a story and telling Becky, oh, I, I found it. You know what I mean? Just just coming up with some lame-ass story about how he came into in possession of the hat pin. He, last time he was over, um, he found it on the ground, put it in his pocket, and must have forgot to take it out. It was uh, attached to her purse, like it got stuck into the side of her purse, and he pulled it out and stuck it in his pocket and forgot to tell her. Instead of coming up with some lame excuse, he just stands up and decides to murder his girlfriend. Yeah. Just, oh, okay, obviously you know that we're evil, because we have your dad's hat pin or tie pin or whatever it was. Time to, you know, chloroform you and throw you off the side of a cliff. Like, how did we get from A to B? <laughs> I mean, what? Like, how insane is this guy? You know, it's like, up to this point, he just seemed like a bored frat boy. And that was it. Now he's a total sociopath. Well, and then it gets even worse because the, his two, um, you know, question, questionable sexuality friends... Um, 
they they're like, uh, dude, whoa, what are you doing? We never wanted to take it this far. But then all of a sudden, hey, oh, let's, well, what the hell? Let's just <laughs> chloroform her, and we'll 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 help you throw her off the damn mountain. Yeah, they're pushing the car up the mountain towards the point where they're going to throw it off the the cliff, and where that piece just happens to be conveniently missing. <laughs> exactly, and they're still arguing. Like, I don't know if this is a good idea, old chap. <laughs> then stop pushing the car! If you don't want to kill her, don't push the car! It's no way that, that Fox is going to be able to push that damn thing by himself up a snowy mountain. Exactly. The second those two guys get out of the or you know, move away from the car, it's going to roll him over. It's just going to slip and just, he's gone her, you know? Okay, but, now let's think about this. Let's think about this. As they're pushing the car, what are they wearing? They're wearing their masks. Yeah. Okay, so the first question is, why did they put their masks on? Because they already knocked the girl out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and two, why did they bring the masks? Why did they have them with them? Clearly they were going to go rob a guy living in a log cabin I mean, somewhere. That's my gonna, point. going to steal his stove. I mean, that is my point right there. It's like, who did they think they were going to rob? Why did they think they were going to need their mask? Oh, my God. It just, there's no logic. We spoke about there being no logic in Moon of the Wolf, and this is worse. I forgot how bad this episode was when I scored Moon of the Wolf. I want to go back and give Moon of the Wolf an extra point based on how bad this one is. Yep. I mean, when, when, seriously, when we reevaluate our school, scores, I may have to bump up Moon of the Wolf because this yeah. one is so bad. I'll, I'll add Cat Scratch Fever to that. <laughs> Christmas with God. the Joker is another one. Every, oh, man. Every episode from this, every episode <laughs> we've reviewed from here, you know, before now, gets an extra point, I think, <laughs> just because of how bad this one is. So it, yeah, just because they aren't the terrible trio. Right, exactly, exactly. Like a bullet for Bullock, we gave that a perfect 10. No, that's an 11. <laughs> That's better than perfect at this point because the terrible trio is just so bad. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing. It is literally laughably bad. Oh my yeah. lord! It, it's it, it's that's what's so weird. It's it's laughably laughably bad, but you don't want to laugh at it because oh. it is so goddamn bad. Yeah, as you watch it, you're cringing. You're going, "Oh my god, why did you know? How did this get made?" Why was this script approved? You know, what animation studio did this? Were the producers blind when they screened it? You know, why was this one put out? Is the ultimate question. But when you review it, like like we are now, you just have to laugh at it. Because if you don't laugh at it, it it's just going to be, you know, we're going to give ourselves, ourselves ulcers just talking about it. You're going to become me, basically. <laughs> there you go. I mean, this is, this is what I do all the time. <laughs> Oh my God! I mean, what else is there to say about this one? Uh, I'm perfectly fine just leaving it at that. You know, I got I got a couple of more things. I'm looking at my notes here, and there's just a couple of more things I just have to mention. Okay, oh, go ahead. There's, there's the car chase scene. Batman's following them. Um, I think it's after they've busted up Daddykins. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, I think it's then. Maybe it's not. But regardless, whenever when they're speeding away, he's chasing them, and as he's chasing them. Their license plate holder folds down, and grenades start falling out of the back of their car. Like, these guys armed their car with grenades? Like, again, this goes to a plan B. They're too arrogant to think that far ahead. 
They're never going to get caught. They're never going to get chased. There's no way they would have that. You know, furthermore, Batman then shoots his, you know, the, the grappling hook out of the front of the Batmobile into the back of their car. So one of the guys stands up, I think it's Shark, stands up and he starts shooting at the cable. And one bullet from your standard forty five breaks the Batmobile's grappling cable. Think about that. This is a cable. No, no, no. Don't think about that. <laughs> your, your, your head will explode. This is a cable that, okay, later on, he, he, he's in the Batwing, and he shoots the cable downward, and he saves Becky from falling over the cliff. He grabs her car. So we have mm-hmm. to assume that the cable that's on the Batwing is the same that's on the Batmobile. I think that's a fair assumption to make. Okay, Maybe a little stronger just because of what it is, but yeah, you're basically right. Okay, but so he's able to, this cable is able to grapple a 2,000-pound car as it's in free fall, stop it, and then lift it back up to safety. But the one on the Batmobile, one single bullet snaps it. And then what, what's, what's, what's weird is after it gets shot, the cable, you know, obviously breaks away from the Batmobile, but it doesn't stay attached to the getaway car. For whatever reason, once it gets broken away from the Batmobile, it also falls off the getaway car instead of trailing behind like a tail. Never mind that it pierced their seat. Yeah, it looks like it just grabs their the, the trunk. But then if we get inside the car for a brief moment, and it's actually into the seat, and we see the guy in the back seat trying not to get cut on the the, 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 the sharp, you know... Just the hooks. Yeah, the hooks. Thank Shit. you. I, I'm at a loss for words there. You know, he's sitting there going, oh my god, what, what happened here to our car? Like, oh my God! You know, it's it's, you know, if, if those if that was all that was wrong with this episode, then I would just go, okay, I'm just going to take a point off or two. But this goes to what you said earlier. You have to combine all this junk together, and and it just makes it worse and worse and worse. If that's even possible at this point. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think we're going to get the negative numbers here when we actually rate this one. Are we allowed to give negative scores? I don't even know if we're allowed to give a zero. Is our grading scale zero to ten? Or now eleven, technically, since we're adding a point to everything. Hell, hell, I was all full and ready to give this one a zero. It better be allowed, because I'm not giving this a point five. It doesn't deserve a point five. I mean, that's, that was something I was struggling with. Does, you know, are we 0 to 10? Are we 1 to 10? That, that's something we're going to have to figure out, you know, in the next, I don't know, hour, hour and a half before we uh, officially grade this one. Okay, so our next episode is, I'm calling it Harley Quinade, and you're calling it... Harley Quinade. Okay, so we're not exactly sure how to pronounce it, though James is most likely correct. Okay, so in this one, the Joker was trying to acquire an atomic bomb. Yes. And he he gets this thing, and uh, Batman and the police, they can't find the Joker, so what they're going to do is they're offering Harley Quinn a deal, basically saying, hey, if you help us find the Joker... With no double crosses, we'll let you go out of Arkham. And she says, okay, Batman, and, you know, hilarity ensues from there. I mean, that's basically, I mean, instead of Batman and Robin, it's Batman and Harley. Yep. That, that's exactly what this episode is. So, yeah, so thoughts about this one? This is such a fun episode. I, I, I get a kick out of this episode every time I see it. Um just just watching the banter back and forth between uh bats and harley and um you know it's it's weird how 
you know, you pair Harley up with anybody, and it also—it's like it automatically becomes a great dynamic. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, from the moment we they they first start conversing in in the cell, you got Harley sitting upside down talking to him, and Bat- Batman's just—I think he's trying to keep a straight face at several points, um, <laughs> just because of how how incredibly goofy she is. And yeah, I, you may be right there. I don't know. <laughs> well, it, I think the animation kind of lended itself to that, but that's just that was just my take on it. Um, and you know, this episode—it's really—it's really it's, really, it's like a twenty-two-minute Looney Tunes episode. Yes, almost. I mean, I mean it, at the end of the episode, they have the the outro with the heart going inward yeah. and fading out. That was that's obviously Looney Tunes esque. But then you know the whole episode is like that. You got a random singing and uh, you know Harley calling all the villains in Arkham these r- ridiculously funny names. You know, Ivy, Two Face, Hat Guy, Lizard Man, Puppet Head. <laughs> oh man, I just you know I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm rambling here, but that's really it's really what the episode is like. It's it's very rambling, but in a good way. Um. So what do you think? <clears throat> um. Well. As I previously stated, I again, I, I think my thoughts about this one were seriously brought down because of the terrible trio. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's what happened. So as I was watching this one, I was very annoyed, and the the cartoony nature of this episode, I wasn't grooving on. Where any other day of the week, I'd be like, hey, this is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard for me because... The notes I took, the thoughts I wrote down were while I was in that agitated state. So I'm trying to look at it objectively, because this was a couple of days ago when I viewed it. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to, to look back on it, and I'm having a hard time, because as I think about it, I'm still thinking about the terrible trio, because we just reviewed the damn thing. So, I mean, you see... It's a poison. Exactly. I mean, there's no way to to get around it. These two are forever coupled together in my mind. So it's very hard for me to speak about this one in a a positive manner. I mean, you know, I I think ultimately it's it's, it's a good episode. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm struggling here, guys. I really am. I think it's it's fun. If I mean, just you know, if we can ignore terrible trio for just a few minutes here, um, you know, just look at it in and of itself. You got Joker stealing an atomic bomb for God's sake, and and then the only person who you can enlist to help you find this this nutcase is his girlfriend. That's that's pretty freaking funny. Oh, there's a lot of great one-liners as there are in any. Uh, Joker episode, you know, when he's talking about, uh, how about nothing, you know, the, yeah. last, the first National Bank of Squadoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a really good introduction for the Joker. That, I mean, I, I will give that episode this, I will give the episode that, I should say, where they're at the auction, he's like, come on, guys, we can do better than this, and then the Joker does his whole spiel that you just said there. That That's, that's the Joker right there. You know, he's he's using his presence and his reputation to basically get whatever he wants. Um, and Which is how he should be used. Right, exactly. So I thought in that regard, uh, the, the episode succeeded. So yes, even though my thoughts about this episode are leaning towards the negative side, 
credit where credit is due. Um, you know, when Harley and Batman are in the Batmobile uh, for the first time and they're driving along and she's like, oh, what does this do? She presses the button and then the, the parachute flies out and they wreck the, they almost wreck the car and Batman screams at her. That really that reminded me of that of uh, Starcrossed in Justice League where Flash presses the button on the alien ship and blows a hole into the in Wayne Manor. <laughs> and he's like, that's not helping. <laughs> yeah. That is exact. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw that again. Mm. Mm. But you know, that's really um, what I'm going to be talking about mostly through this this little review here is just how much uh, how many weird wacky moments there were of like Batman bashing his head on the poker <laughs> or on the craps table and Harley singing. Yeah, it's like stop the pain. <laughs> See, and I think what I'm going to focus on here is. The fact that, okay, I'm gonna take some flack for this. I know I'm gonna, okay, but this this episode it just doesn't have a lot of logic behind it. And the flack I'm gonna take, you know, is gonna be from the people who are saying, "But it's a Joker Harley episode. It doesn't have to have logic." But there's still you, there's still some questions that have to be answered. There's things that have to be addressed that go unsaid, and there's just little things that just don't make sense. I mean. First off, how do the police know about the Joker and his atomic bomb? Because this, these were all you know criminals that were auctioning this thing off. So do you really think those criminals took the time to phone 911 and tell Gordon that the Joker has a bomb? No, they're getting the hell out of Gotham. So do you yeah. see what I'm saying there? Yeah, that's, that's so true. So right off the bat, I have a problem with the episode in that, you know, there's this big flaw. There's this big hole. If someone can explain to me how the police and Batman know, then I'll I'll look past that. But I can't because it's never addressed. It's just the mobsters are running out, and then next thing we know, the police are there. Just you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. And yeah. you can't possibly claim that the police knew that there was going to be this auction because they would have never let the auction happen. Yeah. If someone was trying to auction off guns, maybe they'd let it happen because they'd want to see who shows up. You know what I'm saying? They 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 you know case the joint and stage a sting. But when it's a, something like an atomic bomb, you don't risk that shit. The second you know who's got it, you snipe them in the head, you call in the feds, and it's the end of the story for that bomb. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sorry. Right off the bat, I have major issues with this episode. Um. I'm, I'm trying to think what else logically bothers me about this one. I'm trying to skim my notes here. Well, I'm sorry. Go I'll ahead. go ahead and I'll, I'll go ahead and say that even I took issue with Batman just, you know, automatically going with Harley on this whole escapade. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, it really doesn't follow his his strict, you know, not don't trust anybody character. It really doesn't uh, do justice to it. Right, there, so. there's, there's two points in there that I'd like to make. The first one being, I'm going to do these out of order, actually. The first one is that once Batman and Harley are together, they, they go to one of the Joker's old hideouts, and Batman just leaves her alone to go change into something more comfortable. So Batman is leaving a killer, because we, we, Harley is a killer. We, we can't ignore that fact. Okay, mm-hmm. She's hanging around with the Joker, she's killed people, or at least she's an accessory to murder. Okay, So... She, he leaves her alone in this building that's going to be filled with gadgets and traps and bombs and guns and knives to go change. Do you see what I'm saying there? That, that, yep. that's, you just, he just wouldn't do that. He'd be like, no, you're going to stay in your prison garb this whole damn time, and you're going to be handcuffed, me, handcuffed to me to boot. Okay, So there's that. Now, 
the the other thing I want to mention, which which actually happens before, and this brings up um, this this harkens back to the episode uh, trial. Remember, in there, I had a problem with the uh, DA. What was her name? Van Dorn. Yeah. Mentioning that they had offered the Joker a plea to turn in mm-hmm. Harley. Now we have them offering a deal to Harley to turn in the Joker. No, you don't do that with these two people. Again, anybody else I could almost see that with, but not really these two. I know when we spoke about trial, I did say Harley could potentially reform with the right counseling, though. That's what I said. She'd have to have the right counseling. Here, she still hasn't had that counseling because she's still in love with Mr. J. So at this point in time, you can't offer her said deal because she's still in the, oh, Mr. J's cute and it's all funny, ha, 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 mindset. Yeah, well, thanks for explaining even <laughs> further. That's yeah, that that's basically sums it up right there. Um, and, and and another piece of logic that I just have to pick at here, or a lack of logic, I should say, is is this: the Joker's plan is to just blow up Gotham with the bomb. This way, he takes out the police, Mayor Hill, and Batman all in one shot. Good plan. Because he says he's going to do it without a ransom, without demands, without a warning, without anything. He's just going to blow up this bomb. Mm-hmm. But then why does he kidnap Mayor Hill <laughs> and wait to use the bomb? He's been sitting on the bomb for, it's, it's hard to tell. We have to assume it's at least a couple of hours. I doubt it's more than a day. But he's sitting on the bomb for a couple of hours at least, Okay. So why sit around and wait for Batman to thwart your plans? Because you know he's coming. You know he's going to do this. And, you know, he's going to try to stop you. So why not just press the button? Get in the air in your plane and press the damn button. The only explanation I can think is that maybe he was, he you know, he's, we know that he wanted to just uh, play with Mayor Hill, basically, and screw with his mind and scare the shit out of him before he, you know, uh, melts him. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could assume that Joker wanted wanted Batman there uh, to be like the witness to it or something to that nature, and maybe he thought he that the cops or the feds would come along with him and he'd get those get all of them too. I know I'm stretching there, but maybe that's what he was. Right. Thinking. I mean, I could see where you're coming from, but we still have to consider that this is an atomic bomb. Even if the radius of the blast is only. I don't know. Let's say, I, and guys, if there's anybody out there who's a nuclear scientist, knows anything about bombs, pardon me for just making up numbers here, okay? But let's say the blast, the actual blast area, is only like a mile, okay? Then you, okay, so everybody within a mile is instantly dead, but you still got the instant fallout. And Batman and the police are all going to be within that fallout. So they're all going to die, anyways. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. Batman being at ground zero doesn't need to happen because he's eventually going to die either from the blast or from the nuclear fallout. From but he had to make sure. <laughs> See, I just, I just can't buy that. Uh, I mean, yeah, no. it's, it, it, I understand why they just couldn't blow Gotham off the map. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, logically, okay, had he not said that he wasn't going to do the ransom thing, then I would overlook this because then it's just a typical Joker thing. You know what I mean? He's yeah. he's got a plan and he waits just a little too long and Batman thwarts it. But he actually says there's not going to be a ransom this time. No demands. I'm just going to take you all out in one shot. He says it. So because he says that, it makes me think, why didn't he just pull the trigger, so to speak, hours earlier 
when he had the bomb? Why didn't he just fly it over Gotham, drop it, trigger it, and keep flying on his merry little way? I tried to explain it, so I'll just <laughs> stick with that. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, the, Robin's first line there, with, when uh, he's communicating with Batman through the Batmobile uh, gear, and he's like, sure you don't need me there to keep Zippy under control? <laughs> That was the that's the greatest nickname for Harley you could yeah, ever give her. Yeah. Zippy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Yeah, but I liked I liked how in the uh the final scene there you know uh where the the bomb is and everything Harley like switches loyalties about, you know, a dozen times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's her in a nutshell, yeah, isn't it? It is. So you know, props to them for getting that part of her character, right? Right. She actually she she was on the entire episode. That the I, I have no complaints about Harley in this episode at all. Right. I should say, despite my gripes with this episode, despite the fact that I'm picking apart the logic, I, I you know, I, I do find parts of it very good. I do find parts of it very funny. Uh, Harley is spot on, as you just said. Batman banging his head off the table is one of the funniest moments in all of BTAS. Um <laughs> You know, there's there's some other great moments, like after the fight uh, with Batman, Robin, and Harley in that uh, gambling club in the casino. Mm-hmm. You know, as they're leaving, Harley's like, bow, or bow, or what, what is she saying? She says, uh, pow, bam. You know, she's she's still wanting to fight. She likes the excitement, you know. Um, and, you know, she's got this very childish, uh, jubilant spirit, and it, and it really comes through. Uh, what's the voice actress's name? Is that Arlene Sorkin? Arlene Sorkin. I mean, she does such a wonderful job. She truly is that character. I can't think of anyone else that could have done this character better than her, and she shows why here. Um, so that girl eats your heart out. <laughs> right, exactly. So if this episode succeeds in any way, it all falls on the shoulders of the voice actress. I think absolutely. Um. I do think the episode picks up once everybody gets to the mayor's estate. Yeah, it's it's just there's something about that scene that I don't know if it's the excitement or if it's or, or what it is. I don't know, but it just can you help me out here? Do you know what I'm? Yeah, well, I mean, it goes back to Harley. She's the glue that the whole scene, you know, is tacked to. I mean, and Joker, you know, it was kind of funny. I think. Was Joker supposed to look like a Nazi there? Um, <laughs> in the, I mean, I know he was just pointing, but you know, you know, you put three more fingers out, and you've got Zeke Heil. I mean, he's in a <laughs> World War One fighter plane, but his his you know his his garb is sort of World War Two ish. So maybe I don't know. <laughs> just I just had to ask. Honestly, I did. Um, but yeah, getting back to the overall, you know, just coolness of the scene, yeah, I think, again, it rests on Harley's shoulders. She, Everything she does affects the outcome of the scene, or the next event that happens. She turns on Batman, but then, you know, Batman starts toying with her head, and she's like, but what about the babies? And, 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 and Two-Face and Hat Guy, and, you know, all that other stuff. And everything that happens in that scene happens because of Harley's just overall awesomeness there. And I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, that's my answer to why I think the scene works so well. And a, another, you know, point I will give this episode is the ending. Not the, you know, heart-shaped fade-out, but the, mm-hmm. you know, Harley's got a gun. I question where she got the gun. Is it the, when the plane crashes into the estate, we see one of the guns fly off 
the plane. Is that the gun that she? Yeah, that was oh, that was the turret. Okay, I just I just wanted to make sure that was it. Okay, so she grabs the gun and she's pissed at the Joker because she realizes that he wasn't going to come to Arkham to save her. That she was going to be one of, you know, the she was going to be part of the joke, quote unquote joke. That, that mm-hmm. he was playing on the city. She was not going to survive this, you know, and he, he wasn't going to try to save the babies. He wasn't going to try to save, you know, Puppethead and all their friends. He was going to let them all die, and Harley realizes that this can't continue. So, you know, she points the gun right at his head, and she's going to pull the trigger, and the Joker, oh, my God, right? He's staring down death, and what's he say to her? You don't have the guts, yeah. Like, oh my, I mean, this, this scene shows you their relationship in a nutshell. You know, anytime she gets a backbone, he just breaks it in two. He just shatters the thing. But she actually, it regenerates, and she actually pulls the trigger on him. And what comes out, not a bullet, but the rat-a-tat-tat sign. You know, the typical <laughs> cartoon, you know, gun thing. And, Bang flaggish. Right. And she looks at the gun all dejected. She was going to murder the man. And she's like, oh, and the Joker looks at her, all pissed off, like, how dare you try to kill me? And then suddenly he changes to, baby, you're the greatest, because he realizes that <laughs> even though he tried breaking her down, she stood up to him and actually had the had a backbone and was going to kill him. To him, that's funny. And yes. <laughs> that right there shows you their whole relationship, and I thought it was a great yet, you know, kind of morbid way to end the episode. <laughs> Um, so again, that's another point I absolutely have to give this episode because it's just, it's all right there. At that point, Batman and Robin will put them in cuffs without a fight and they'll both go back to Arkham happily as a couple. And this whole thing will happen all over again in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I mean, yep. you know, for for all the shit I gave this episode 10 minutes ago, I have to give it so much credit for that ending. I really do. Yeah, and the baby or the greatest is a reference to the honeymoon. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, that was a cool little nod there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so you know the second half of this episode, if you know, there are a lot of flaws in the first part just because of how it's set up and and all that. But I think the second half of the episode really, you know, saves it. Really makes it a a, a positive, you know, a good episode. Definitely above average. Next episode today is Time Out of Joint. In this episode, we have the return of the Clock King, who has stolen a, a device that can alter the flow of time, and you know, in and actually just either in a wide a wide area or in just a, a very small area. So what he's doing is he's using it to, um, well, he's, is he stealing parts to something? I know he's he's gonna he's gonna you know, kill, try and kill Mayor Hill again mm-hmm. with a bomb, a time bomb. But uh, I'm trying to remember how it was all set up. No, from that. what he's doing is he's just testing out the device at first. Because remember, he didn't invent this device that right. scientists that he's butlering for did. Mm-hmm. So he's just walking around doing his thing. Like when he goes to the auction and he steals the clock, that was yeah. all just a test to make sure the device worked. That's all he yeah. was doing. Okay. And well, yeah, so, up, in, I mean, up, up until the, the the climax, he's just kind of playing with the mayor until that ult, until that final moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's he's basically going to use the device to stop you know, stop time and make it make his death 
slow and enjoyable, basically. Um, but, you know, Batman and Robin get involved and, you know, they uh, get the, a device of their own and really some very cool animation and scenes ensue. So, uh, you know, what do you think about this episode? You know, this is one that I remember liking as a child, but, you know, having, you know, viewed it again for this episode, you know, I thought it was okay, but it wasn't as good as I remembered. I thought it was an inventive use of the Clock King. Actually, instead of just having him be anal about time, having him play with time. I yeah. thought that was interesting. I thought the, as, as you said, the animation effects, oh my god, they are cool. They, they, yes, they, they are. are some of the best in all of the uh, BTAS. Um, I like the fact that Batman and Robin get very sci-fi when they start playing with the devices. Because um, at the end, of course, they get two of them and they become the Flash, basically. I yeah. thought that was really cool. There's a nod to Superman. Where they're they're you know they're on their motorcycles and they're going past the train and Robin sees a bird and an airplane and the train all standing still to him relative to him they're standing still and Robin goes faster than a speeding bullet I thought that was really cool but there's you know there's other little parts of it where and I don't know again I don't know if I if I can pinpoint what they are where I'm just sort of like nah about the episode not bad it's just sort of there. Yeah, I mean, I've said that about several episodes where it's like, eh, maybe it's just, it's, um, let's see, what was the episode I can best use to parallel your feelings about this? I think it was, uh, His Silicon Soul. Mm. Maybe that was it. Or the first, was that the first Hardak episode? No, it wasn't. It was the the first Hardak episode, Heart of Steel. Okay. That, that's the episode I think I could best, it's not a bad episode, but eh, it's just not one of my favorites. But me, on the other hand, I think I'm the exact opposite. This was an episode that I don't remember liking at all, and then I went back and watched it, I was like, wow, that was really cool. So, and I think most of it did have to do with the uh, the animation, mm-hmm. like you said. Um, and Batman, you know, running with the bomb at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. you know, putting it in the, into the time vacuum, basically, and running as fast as he can into the ocean, a la... Flash, you know, 11 years later in jail in Justice League. Uh, yeah, so it's... And I think I'm I'm with you in that I can't... I don't know if I can really explain why it was... Why it just clicked with me. But, you know, I just really dug it. <laughs> well, that's fair, you know. There were some pretty funny parts, though. Like, uh, uh, where uh, Fugit is running out of the... Down or down the staircase, and he trips over the woman that he walks by, mm. and he says, that, "Hmm, that's going to be a nasty fall." Yeah. And then he falls right <laughs> over her. <laughs> yeah, came back to haunt him. Mm. And then it's like it's funny that Batman and Robin couldn't stop the guy, but a fat woman with a purse can just beat the snot out of him. Yeah, because yeah, then she's like, "What does she say?" She calls him like a klutz or something, doesn't she? Something and like I'm that. I'm thinking to myself, "Honey, you're the one that was bent over in the stairwell picking up the documents, so you're just as much of a klutz as he is." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you're right. She just starts walloping him with that with that purse. There was a nice little nod from a previous episode where he said, where Batman says, "So we don't have another invisible yes. man running around." That was cool mm-hmm. because Seeing No Evil is a really just dark but good episode. Mm-hmm. So I like it when they reference good episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I didn't like is just that it's and this is just a thing with me and any cartoon movie whatever is villains who can't speak in anything but puns. 
like Clock King does. I like I kind of dig the character. I like him a lot better than the in the in the previous Clock King episode. Like uh a lot more. But, you know, still it's it just kind of irks me. It's like it it draws me out of the episode when they talk at nothing but puns. Can, can you cite some here? I don't know if I was picking up on them. Um, let's see. A trial run? Uh, and it went like clockwork. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones, but it's like, just, it seemed like every other line Fugit was, except when he was talking with the scientist at the beginning of the episode, he wasn't using any, uh, any of that speak there, but where he's being arrogant is when he really busts out, uh, pun land. Okay. Um, I have a question though. Um, the the house that the scientist lives in, that looks like the exact same house from the Justice League episode later on, Tabula Rasa, where Amazo makes the, its first appearance. Well, it's been a while um, since I've seen. Yeah, it. I know. I, I don't know if you might pick up on that or not, but it's it really it is like that was like I was thinking to myself, whoa, uh, did they use the same house? I don't know. It, it just looked like it was the exact same house. To me, and, and I could be way off base, to me it looked like the house in the Superman episode where we first meet the Flash, where they're racing around the globe, and there's like mm-hmm. a weather, weather wizard. Right. I believe there's like an isolated mansion in that episode, too. And <laughs> there was something about the two that was clicking in my brain there. They could look completely different, but there is some sort of isolated lab or mountain in that episode, or mountain, uh, house in that episode, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. Okay, see, like I said, that's that's what I'm thinking of when I see that, so... Hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I, it, it's, you know, it's just one of those things, you know? Um, well, can you think of anything that you did or didn't like, besides the animation, of course? Right. well, no, one of the things, you know, this, this isn't what I liked or, or disliked, it's just something I wanted to bring up, is... Mm-hmm. You know, this was the first one that we've seen with the new opening title sequence. Yes. I mean, we don't have the old one with the guys robbing the bank and the explosion and the Batmobile and the rooftop fight. Here, we get the guys robbing the bank and other... We get some clips from the original opening, but it's all interspliced with clips from uh, uh, actual episodes of Batman the Animated Series, specifically clips from Robin's Reckoning. Yeah. There's a ton of clips from Robin's Reckoning in that new intro, and it was very jarring to see that new intro just sort of, just sort of like thrown in there. Because time out of joint, we get this intro, but then Catwalk, we get the original, but then... Yeah, that kind of confused yeah, me. Yeah, for Bane, we go back to this one. So I didn't know why some intros, or some episodes, pardon me, got the new intro and some got the old intro. I'd like to know what the logic was on that, why they did that with the well, DVD, why they just didn't stick with the old one throughout. Well, that I can't explain, but it was called the, the, you know, when that happened, the new opening sequence uh-huh. happened, it became the Adventures of Batman and Robin. So, I mean, that was, that became the official title of the show. Uh, and Catwalk, Robin isn't there, so, I mean... You know what? You I may guess... have a point, because Robin is in the Bane episode. So mm-hmm. let's keep an eye out for that. In any episode from this point forward where Robin shows up, let's see if they use this opening sequence. I know for a fact they use it in Riddler's Reform because Robin shows up there. Okay. That's where he gets his leg broken. Okay. Um, He's and, in Baby Doll. Yeah, I'm almost positive it happens in Baby Doll and Showdown. I think he's in Line in the Unicorn, too. 
Yeah. I think so. he is. I could be wrong about that. So, yeah, let's keep an eye out. Let's see if the Robin episodes get this intro, but that would have to mean that the episodes without Robin get the original intro. Mm-hmm. Because if we have this new intro on an episode without Robin, then our theory goes out the window. Yeah. But, yeah, and you like... may be right about that. That would make sense then. That would be sort of like, remember in the old episodes of the original, you know, the Batman, the Adam West TV show? If Batgirl was going to show up during the opening credit sequence, a little animated Batgirl would go by during the credit sequence on her motorcycle. Do you remember that? Right. right. It was always yeah. like, hey, Batgirl's going to be there and my heart would swoon, you know, because I'm, oh, Yvonne Craig, I love you. I was always uh, partial to Julie Newmar, but yeah, okay. You know, it's, <laughs> that, that tight purple outfit, oh. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love you. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, oh. Um, oh Mike, Mike's trailing off here, folks. Oh, oh, oh. But there, there's something else I forgot to mention, and this was actually uh, something I wanted to mention during our discussion of uh, the Terrible Trio. Sorry to bring it back up again, but in that one, the title card, the, the font on it shimmered. It kind of moved a little. Is that the first title card we've had that moved? Um... I thought they've all been stale or stagnant. Pardon me to that point. Well, the demons' quest was uh, it like kind of wavered inward. It faded in oh. and then faded out. Oh, really? Did it? I know. I know that one did. Um, the only other one that I can think of would be Laughing Fish, but I know that one didn't. It was that one didn't even. It was alive. Yeah, it was just uh, the words with the background of the episode. Happening. Right. Yeah, I'm talking specifically ones with the title card. I couldn't remember yeah. if anything if they were all just you know, you know, there. Yeah, Demon's Quest is the only one I can think. Okay. Of. Okay. Well, thank you for cleaning that up for me. Um, now, actually, getting back to the episode, to, to time out of joint. Um, you know, it starts out with uh, Dick and Bruce at this auction. It's a charity auction. And, you know, it's, you know, they've only been there like 10 minutes, but Dick thinks they've been there for like 10 days or whatever. He's bored out of his mind. And I understand that. This is a young kid who grew up in the circus. He had a very exciting life. He got to perform for all these people. So sitting still at something this stuffy isn't necessarily up his alley. However, Batman, you know, pretty much adopted him when the kid was about eight years old. So he's been living with Bruce for at least 10 years at this point. So you'd think that his manners would be a little better. I mean, he's, like, really rude in that... Op- and Bruce was visibly annoyed. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, didn't Bruce or Alfred teach him some frickin' manners? I can understand him being fidgety. I can understand him saying, like, one thing that's a little snarky. But it's just nonstop. And I really... I find it hard to believe that Alfred, of all people, didn't teach him some sort of etiquette for when he's at a black tie social affair. Yeah. Um, like, you know, if this were a flashback sequence and we saw him when he was like 10 years old, I'd accept it. I wouldn't even question it. But, you know, he's in college at this point. He shouldn't be acting like this. Now, before anybody can write in or post at the forums, I'm going to rebut myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to say that that could be a put-on character. Just like Bruce is the playboy, the fidgety, kind of, you know, jokey Dick Grayson can be a put-on character. I don't buy it, because Robin and Dick, they don't act all that different. (laughs) No, (laughs) they don't. They make the same jokes, they act the same way, they move the same way. He doesn't even bother to change his voice, okay? (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> Batman and Bruce, it's completely different. They move differently. They stand differently. They talk differently. They're completely different people, okay? But if someone wants to try to throw out the argument that that's just Dick's, you know, persona, like Bruce's, you know, Batman's persona, fine, go ahead and do that, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm, sure I'm going to actually yeah. buy it. I don't buy it either. Dick Grayson and Robin are one and the same person. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I just have a couple more things to say about this one. Um, the first being that even though I like the fact that, you know, they had a Clock King episode where he's playing with time, wouldn't that technically go against the Clock King's nature? I mean, think about this. He's so anal about time that everything has to be down to the second. The second that wouldn't it mess with his mind to actually so then slow time down and to step out of it? Well, you see where I'm coming um, from there? Yeah, I do, but I think you can, I th in my mind, I think you can excuse it because he is he's the ultimate control freak uh -huh. and he is controlling time itself. Uh -huh. So you you know you might be able to uh, excuse it there. I mean he he knows exactly what's going to happen because he can make it happen. So I mean he can make a schedule uh, completely of his own will. I, I, okay, so. I can I, I can buy that. I'll actually buy that. I'll, I'll scratch it off my notes there as a sort of a negative I was giving this episode. Um, now another thing I wanted to bring up was that. At some point, the Clock King sticks one of the devices uh, that he's carrying around on the Batmobile. And um, I thought it was kind of neat how they explain why the Batmobile security didn't pick it up. Batman suggests that maybe the device was slightly out of sync with real time, and therefore yeah. the security device didn't pick it up. Hey, that's kind of cool. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Now, my problem with this is that, you know, Batman and Robin, they're driving along, and they're on a bridge. The device kicks in. Basically what happens is they get frozen in a time bubble as everything moves past them. And it looks like it's moving past them at just like, it's all like just speeding lights. It's like lightning going past them, right? Mm -hmm. And as they're sitting there, we can see the sun rising and the sun setting. Once they get out of the predicament, they guess that 48 hours have passed since the moment they got stuck in the car. For them, it's been like two minutes, but in real time, it's been two days. Now, here's my problem with this. If the Batmobile was sitting on a bridge for two days, not moving, I sort of think the police, the tow truck, Alfred, someone would come knocking and try to take care of the car. The Batmobile yeah. just doesn't get to sit on a bridge for two damn days. I mean, again, it was a cool effect. It's a, it's, it's a very tense moment. How they get out of it is neat, too. The aftermath is cool because the Batmobile just takes off like a rocket because it's been building up all this speed or whatever was going on with it. All that's mm -hmm. cool. But if you actually think about it, it's like, no, someone would have came up to the car and towed it away or something. You, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Or tried to open it up or yeah, something. Yeah, something. The, the car just doesn't get to sit there for 48 hours without anybody saying anything. I thought it was really cool how they explained what would happen if something ran into mm -hmm. it, though. I was like, it could trigger an atomic explosion. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. He's right. Yeah, because uh, basically what they're sitting there in... in I forgot how they explained this. It was basically, to them, everything is moving at light speed. Right, so if a car did strike it, boom, it's all over, right? Okay, yeah, yeah that was, and that, that's kind of my problem that I have with the Flash. 
is can he punch someone while running super fast? Because if he if he's running super fast and he punches someone, you know he's going to either rip their head off or if he's running really fast, cause a, a, a chain reaction that destroys everything. That that's the same thing that that's going on here that happens with the flash. Um, and I, I guess the the last little thing I want to mention, or actually ask you, James, is how many devices did that scientist have? Because I had the yeah. feeling that this was a prototype, and I can count at least six devices. Yeah, that that was my major problem with the episode. Is like, what? Uh, where is he getting all of these things? Yeah, because there's three at one point. Uh, the clock. No. Okay, wait. Hang on. I'm trying to think. Yeah, there's three at the end. Batman has one, Robin has one, and Batman has another one in his utility belt to stick on the bomb. That's three. Uh, at another point, the Clock King has two. He's got the one that's on him that breaks, remember? And then the mm-hmm. one that he put on the Batmobile. So there's his two. That's a grand total of five. There's one more that's left at the feet of the scientist. That's how Batman and Robin find him. So that's six. Now, earlier, we saw the scientist using some... On, uh, he was running experiments. He had an iron ball. He had slowed down time. And over like a week or something, it had only fallen like less than an inch. So that's one more. And he had another one that was hooked up to a, a potted plant. And in 30 seconds, this plant went from being a seedling to dying. So, you know, there we've got eight. Now, you can kind of forget those two and claim that maybe some of the, some of the ones we see later, like the ones Batman and Robin have, are those two. So again, there's at least yeah. six of these devices, and for being something that's still in the prototype phase, I don't know if he'd have six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it a nitpick? Yes. Am I overthinking it? Yes. No, it's not real. I wouldn't call it a nitpick at all. You don't all. think so? It's really, it's really something of a plot hole. Hmm. I would, I would, all, or I would be tempted to classify it as a plot hole just because of the fact that it was a prototype. Why would he have six fully functional mm-hmm. ones? At least, yeah. it might be more. If if he had said, like, let's say the ones he gave Batman and Robin at the end, if he had said something like, these ones don't work as well, there might be a glitch. We didn't even have to see a glitch. He could just say there might be a glitch because these are earlier prototypes. You know, like, you look at Iron Man, and he's got all those different suits of armor. You know, he's got mm-hmm. the Mark One, the Mark II, the Mark 2.5, the Mark 2.5A. Things. He's always tweaking the armor. So... You know, if the scientist said something like this, like, this is my first prototype, so it might not work as well, I would buy it then. Then, okay, I can understand them having a whole bunch of these lying around, but we're all supposed to, we're just supposed to assume that they're all from the same batch, and they all work perfectly. And that that's hard for me to buy. It really is. Yeah. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't buy it. I guess the only other thing I have, I want to mention about this episode, and it's just, it's a pretty minor thing, but, you know, it's uh, the auction house, the blonde lady with glasses is the exact same person that we'll see in uh, the end of the episode Riddler's Reform. So hmm. that's, about, that's all I have to say about this is episode. It the, uh, <laughs> is it the same voice actress, too? Because the one in this episode does get a line or two out. I'm almost positive oh, it is. That's interesting. That the- Actually, you know what? I don't even think she has a line in Riddler's oh, really? Reform. But it's definitely the same person. Huh. Now, so, while, oh. while we're talking about that scene, there was one more thing I wanted to bring up in regards to Dick Grayson's attitude at the, 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 the charity auction. And that's, you know, he, he, he thinks he sees the clock king and then the clock gets stolen because Batman doesn't believe him. 
at first, or Bruce doesn't believe him at first. But then the clock gets stolen, and then he's like, okay, something's up. And as they're running out of the auction house, there's just this big shit-eating grin on Dick's face. And it's just it just shows you what that character's about. You know, again, he doesn't want to sit there. What's he want to do? He wants to go out and punch some people in the face and just and just have fun being a superhero. So, you know, I thought that was kind of cool. Just in, in that one little, you know, just facial expression, we got everything we needed to know about that character. You know, I'm glad that you brought this up because that brings... This is another point that I failed to write down, but I wanted to remember. Um, it's kind of a, a nitpick uh, uh, as pertains to this episode. You know, you just have this clock mysteriously stolen, and everybody's standing up like, oh, what, what's going on? And only two people run out of the auditorium, and that's Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. Nobody would notice this happening. when they Wouldn't that draw some suspicion? Right. That's, that, that is a little... That is something that has to be brought up because they just they get that they it, I, I hate to say it guys but they run out of there like bats out of hell you know I'm sorry I didn't intend the pun you heard me stumbling over it I was trying to find something else to say but that's what they did I mean it's you gotta look at them and go now wait a minute did they have something to do with this or what's going on here um, and, and lastly for me with this episode is 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 the ending actually. The, the scientist decides that mankind isn't ready for a device of this nature. Like, because there was one bad apple? What, society isn't ready? I, I didn't get that mentality from him. Do, do you see where I'm I, coming from with that? Yeah, I, I do. I, that just seems like paranoia to me. But, I mean, maybe you could justify it because he is a self-admitted, a self-admitted recluse. I mean, he has... Yeah. Ice. And I did like the explanation he had for being where he was. Like, there's no electromagnetic waves, mm-hmm. there's no phones around here, nothing. I thought that was kind of cool. Right, yeah, so, I mean, maybe you could tie it in to the, to the way he lives and his feelings about people, and, you know, so he's being harsher than he normally, you know, than a, than a normal person, another person would have been. But I don't know, that was sort of... I don't know, that just seems kind of weird to me. It just seemed like a weak way to write that device out of continuity. Like, and we'll never see it again. Next up is Catwalk, and this one sees the return of Selina Kyle. And, oh boy, what's going on in this one? It starts out with her pining over all these animals that have gone extinct and blah, 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 blah. And she feels like Catwoman has gone extinct and she feels trapped. And she ends up getting roped into becoming Catwoman again, because this one actually has some continuity. It ties into the fact that she has been ordered by the courts never to be Catwoman again. And if she does that, she's going back to jail. So she's really struggling, but she gets roped back into it by Scarface, of all people. Um, and he, he has this plan to steal... Um, Okay, what does he tell? What is he trying to get her to steal? I don't remember. He's well. She, he doesn't want her to steal anything. It was all she's all there to distract the guards and be the the patsy for them to, for uh, Rhino and his buddy to steal that stuffed bird. Right, that's the real plan. 
but actually he sends her in oh, the steel yeah. of Reland jewels or something. Jewels, yeah. right, So right. That's, that's what she thinks is going on, but you're right. The, the actual plan is to steal the endangered uh, stuffed animals and then auction them off to people like the penguin. And, you know, of course, Batman gets involved and Catwoman tells him a sob story. Oh, I was going there to apologize for my bad behavior earlier because she mouthed off to Veronica. And, you know, when I got there, the criminals were there, and I just happened to have my costume, blah, 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 blah. And Batman doesn't buy it for a second, but he goes along with it because he wants to see what Selena's up to. And, you know, at the end, he's, you know, he and her have to kind of team up to stop Scarface, but does Batman let her go, or does he bring her in? I don't know what to think about this episode, truthfully. I mean, there's a lot of really good parts, and then there's a lot of really shitty parts. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess the first thing I'll, you know, start positive here. Uh, I liked uh, the homage to Batman Returns at the end of the episode. That was, it's, the, it's like the, a mirror image of the closing scene of Batman Returns. Is um, it? I don't remember. With Cat, it's been ages. With Catwoman, Catwoman staring at the moon and as the movie as the movie ends, and then and they have Catwoman, you know, in the silhouette, you know, silhouette uh, with the moon behind her. So I think that I think that was a pretty clear homage to the movie. But so I, I kind of dug that. That was kind of cool. Um, Selena had some great lines in this episode, like uh, "You're boring me, Log." <laughs> um, and I like you know Scarface is, you know, money. He really is. He's he's such a great character. And uh, you know George Dezunza did another you know another spectacular job voicing him. Um, I think my first problem with this episode is Veronica Vreeland's line of "I wish I could throw a party without some kook showing up." Oh, that's up. funny! Come on, how is that funny? Because she's had three parties and three kooks have shown up. We've had, but she invited. She wanted the penguin to be okay, there. Wait. Okay, yeah, she invited the penguin. That's true. But then the next time she had her coming back party, that that savage guy showed up. Remember the one that was being controlled by the yeah. Hatter? So that's she didn't invite him. And now you know Selena, who's openly Catwoman, comes as Bruce's date, and she doesn't get involved as Catwoman not then and there, but she's still acting as a kook. I thought that was hilarious. That was great continuity. It's it's great continuity, except that I you know it harkens back to you know birds of a feather. You know, it's, it's she invited one of the th- those three freaks there. It's like, what do you expect? <laughs> that uh, that annoyed me. Although I I will grant you, it's good continuity. I, I thought it was funny. I mean, I I truly chuckled at that line because I'm like, hey, that's true. She's had three parties, and three of them have been crashed or at least attended by someone who's actually a supervillain. Works for me. I don't know. I liked it. (laughs) Um, Now, while we're talking about Veronica, in my notes, I mentioned that she's actually in two of the episodes that we're reviewing today, but I don't remember the other episode she was in. It's one of the ones before this. Was she in Harlequinade? Or Harlequinade? Uh, Or was she in the Terrible Trio? She might have been in the terrible trio because there was all those rich people wandering around. But but she, I, I didn't. I, it was one of those things that I noticed after the fact. I was like, "Oh yeah, she was in a previous episode." Uh, she, I don't know if she was in Time Out of Joint. No, she's or not, not in Time Honestly, Out of Joint. It's one of the other two. I, I'm. If I were gonna guess, I'd say uh, 
the first one. A terrible trio. Because it was either, I don't remember if she had a line in the other one, or if she was just mentioned in the other one. But in one of the, one of the other three episodes that we've covered thus far, she actually did make an appearance in. So, mm-hmm. I guess she just... I wish I could remember. I don't remember that at all, so... She's getting a lot of screen time. That's all I've got to yeah, say. Yeah, for, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do want to add that my... I think my favorite part of this episode is, uh, I don't remember the, the, the lines leading up to it, but it's, the, it's a ventriloquist and a Scarface scene. And ventriloquist has said something. I think he's talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking about how uh, he feels bad that they're using Ms. Kyle as a patsy. And Scarface says, hold my hat, will ya? And Ventriloquist takes the hat off, and then Scarface headbutts the Ventriloquist. <laughs> he goes, he, yes. not only does he do that, he goes, hold my hat, will ya? And then he goes, bam! And he headbutts him. That was brilliant. That really was. He doesn't just headbutt him. He actually gives this sound effect of bam. It's like, how, you have to, like, if 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 any of Batman's rogues are, 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 oh, I'm stumbling over my words here. But what I'm trying to say is I don't know if there's any other of Batman's rogues who are more messed up than the ventriloquist. I mean, seriously. It's, you know, I mean, he's got these two conflicting personalities, and one of them is constantly beating up the other one. It's not like Harvey Dent, who, you know, his personalities are in conflict, but they're never, like, He's never be- literally beating himself up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. I mean, and one of the, one of them is clearly the dominant here one. Here we have a guy. The last, not the last time, but the first time we saw Scarface and the ventriloquist. You know, he, he's gonna. The Scarface attempts to kill the ventriloquist. He puts the Tommy gun to his head, and now here he's headbutting himself with the dowel. It's so tragic, yet I laugh at it, and I shouldn't. But <laughs> it's. Funny. Yes, you should. It's hilarious. He puts himself with a towel. That's funny. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. no. <laughs> oh, man, that is funny, though. But that's what you get with Scarface, you know? I mean, every time he shows up, that's what you're going to get. And, you know, I laugh. I, I, can't, I can't do anything but laugh. I mean, I taught, I taught, putty tat. <laughs> oh, Anyway, um, shoot, I don't know what to say about this episode, though. It's really it's really a Tale of Two Cities kind of episode, because there are a lot of things that I have to wonder about. Like, when there, when Batman, Selina, uh, Rhino, all of them are in that lumber mill, Rhino picks up this gigantic log and charges at Batman with it. He And he has trouble picking it up. Remember, this is Rhino we're talking about here. He runs full speed ahead at Batman. Batman just roundhouse kicks the thing out of his hand. Like, what the... Uh, I need need not say any more, do I? No. I mean, if we're going to talk about that ending sequence, I think my biggest gripe with this episode comes from the fact that Batman would rather save the stuffed animal from a fire than stop a criminal. Never mind that he's in love with her, okay? She's still a criminal. But he lets her go to save a priceless stuffed animal. It's like, no. We've previously seen, like, okay, think about Almost Got Him. There, not only does he save Catwoman, but he also stops Harley. 
You know, because she's like, ha-ha, mm-hmm. Batman, you can only do w- one thing. You're going to save your girlfriend or you're going to stop me? And he just pulls the lever and then punches Harley off panel or off screen, I should yeah. say. You know, if we if he can do something like that, he could have easily thrown a rope at the at the, at the the Tasmanian tiger or whatever it was, yanked it, and had time to grab Selena by the wrist before she ran too far away. Right. Him going after that is so irksome. It's I, I can't stand that. Well, it, speaking of Selena, though, I wasn't getting the uh, the tension, the you know, this you know, the love tension between them at all. Because just because Selena was such a bitch in this yeah. episode, that I, it didn't come through at all. It's like it made me. If this was like the first Catwoman episode I'd ever seen, I'd be like, I'd wonder um, where's the where's the mutual admiration for each other, or anything, because it wasn't there. I almost wonder if they were uh, downplaying it because we've seen Talia not too long ago, and I don't mean in uh, Avatar. I'm talking about oh God, in no. Demon's Quest. That's that's not too far in our past. And then, you know, we've more recently seen Mask of the Phantasm, and those are women he seems to care for more than Selena. So maybe they decided it would actually hurt Batman, hurt Bruce's character, if he was in love, deeply in love, with a third woman. So they said, you know what, we're going to acknowledge that there's some tension, just a little, that they maybe have a past, but just really leave it at that, not have them be all flirty, have Batman be conflicted. You understand where I'm coming from? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what they were going for. Because otherwise, you're right, it's it's not really there. You know, and if and if you're reading um, the comics and you know about the characters, you're going to expect to see stuff like that. So again, you're right. Yeah. If this was the first episode you're seeing and you don't see it, you're going to go, "Hmm, that's a little weird that that wasn't mentioned." Yeah, this this is not the Batman Catwoman relationship I've seen in the comics mm-hmm. or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I my next question about this episode is why was Scarface's mouth and face moving like it was uh, organic? Or like, or rather, that it's like uh, a human being. Did I didn't catch that? Did it? What did it do? Like curl at the corners or something? Yeah, and like, and his, you know, his eyebrows moved uh, in ways that a dummy's eyebrows could never move. Oh. It was, and the, it was the mouth most, uh, most specifically. It was just, it was curling, and that was it. It was curling all over the Maybe place. He's a muppet now. Yeah, clearly. And that's why he had to make the bam sound when he headbutted the ventriloquist earlier, because uh, he was soft and it really wasn't going to make a bam. <laughs> I'm stretching. I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't notice the, the 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 mouth curling and all that, but uh, that is pretty bad. I, I trust that. I trust you when you say they were there. So that is uh, pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, you can't have a wooden dummy uh, become a human being. Can you? <laughs> I don't know. We've seen a lot of weird things in this show. <laughs> Let's ask Pinocchio. <laughs> True. Dead air. <laughs> oh. I, I think, you know, you know, I love the headbutting earlier in this episode. That's a great moment. Mm-hmm. But I think another great moment is that we actually get to see the ventriloquist get violent to try to save Scarface. That's not something we've seen from that character so far. He's always been very passive. Then the whooping boy, right. um, he's very much uh, reserved. All his, all his uh, anger and, and plotting and violence comes out through the dummy. 
But when Selena has put, you know, Mr. Scarface in very clear jeopardy, the ventriloquist goes crazy. I mean, even his look changes a little. If I remember correctly, I think his hair gets all disheveled. His face just, you, it's just all scrunched up and pissed. And he mm-hmm. tries to, he does whatever he can to save that part of himself there. I thought that was, uh, what did you feel about that? Because I like that. I like seeing it. Oh, I did too. It was, absolutely. It was was like one of those moments where you'd get someone who's normally very passive doing whatever it takes to save their spouse. That's almost Mm -hmm. what I equate it to. Normally, they would never harm a fly, but if you're going to put their spouse in danger, they'll rip your goddamn eyes out. That's what I kind of got from him there, and it worked for me. It worked for me too. I mean, it was, it's, actually kind of satisfying it's like seeing it's like uh, a christmas story where ralphie just goes nuts and beats up uh scott farkas so that's that's kind of what i thought about honestly when i when i saw that i was like "Ooh, wow he can show emotion yeah he just <laughs> yeah I, I really did like yeah, he it just got pushed too far and mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it definitely worked and uh i i would Love. I, I I know Scarface comes back and the ventriloquist comes back, but I don't remember if we see more of that side of him, do we? Because I'd love to, but I don't think we do. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not recalling off the top of my head. Hmm. What does he have to say about this one? I don't mean to shortchange this one, but I don't know if I have much else to say about this one. How about you? No, well, it's not a deep episode. No. Like, and it's and I think a lot of that goes back to. Selena just being completely cold yeah. the whole entire episode. So I, I, I think if if they had made her, you know, like she had been in in the first Catwoman episode, it it might have added a lot of depth to this episode. But as it stands, it's you know it's just kind of there. It's not a bad episode, but it's you know it doesn't stand out. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't feel bad for her either. I mean, we're supposed to feel like. Oh, woe is Selena. She can't be Catwoman. She can't steal all these jewels. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, good. Lock her up. <laughs> Big deal. She can't go running through the night. She's lucky she's not in jail. And she's crying you... about that. And we're supposed to feel sympathetic for that. Doesn't work for me, honey. You know, I I, I seem to recall something we've both seen recently where we're supposed to be feeling sympathetic for the villain. What did we see? Um, Gee, what what was that? What did we see? I don't know. It it, it, it shares my my Roman numeral, though, and I I will forever hate it for that. Uh, Anyway. But that's really, that's what it's like. You you can't feel sympathetic for for the villain. And she was. She was very much a villain in this right. episode. Well, you can if it's done right. Mr. Well, Freeze, yeah, you're right. Two-Face. If it's done right, you can. But here, the reason it doesn't work is because she's being a spoiled brat. With Two-Face right. and Mr. Freeze, they were tossed into a very bad situation, and mentally they broke. And they were dealing with it yeah. in the only way they knew how. Here, Selena, by all rights, should be in jail. You know... But she's not. The judge has decided, you know what, we're going to trust that you can stay out of trouble, so be good. Keep your nose clean. And she's all pissing and moaning about it. That's the problem I have with it. I agree. I have to retract what I said about the villain thing. But, you know, along that vein, I 
I don't know if you could necessarily just outright say, oh, they're a villain, like uh, Two-Face and Freeze, at least not initially. No, not initially. Here, right. here, in this episode here, she's a villain basically from the start. She's a bitch to Veronica, which, you know, it's not, doesn't really irk me all that much, but, and she, she kicks, she like basically fights Batman all over the place for no reason, and then she, st- she tries to steal the jewels, and she tries to burn that, uh, stuffed cat thing. There's like, at no point in this episode are we supposed to feel sympathy for her. our final episode today is Bane. In this episode, obviously, we have the debut of Bane, the uh, Cuban assassin who's who's been hired by Rupert Thorne to off the bat, basically. And, you know, um, they get... uh, What's what's her name? Off the top of my head, I can't remember her name. Uh, Candace. uh, Candace, thank you. She's there. She's like the, the you know Rupert Thorne's hired sex toy or something. I don't know what the hell she is. Because she's the chick from the Two Face episode, right? That is her, isn't it? Yeah, okay. that's it. That's it. I, I couldn't remember if I'd seen yeah. her before or not. But um, she's there to basically, you know, usher Bane around and just kind of tag along with him and show him around Gotham as he uh, as he gathers reconnaissance on Batman and how he how he fights, you know, how he. You know, basically thinks because Bane is a very cerebral killer. So, you know, I, it's pretty straightforward. You know, they bring Bane up from uh, Cuba and hire him to kill Batman. So, um, you know, I remember really, really liking this episode uh, just because I love Bane. He might be my favorite. Bat villain, just because of how intelligent he is, because you see them, you see him, and he's, you know, he's this huge walking mound of muscle, and and you know, and the venom drug, and all that, all that stuff. But beneath it, he is extremely intelligent, and he, fig- you know, he figures out who Batman is in the comics, and I like the way they they explained it too. So, I, you know, I really remember loving this episode because I thought they did a good job with uh, Bane's character here. But you know, I watched it. You know, I watched it again here, and I, you know, I did see a lot of little flaws with it. But you know, it's still, a, I still really like this episode. Um, what about you? Yeah, I dig this one. It's, it's, it's different because yeah, a lot of times, you know, as we spoke of just a few minutes ago, we when some of Batman's villains are introduced, they're 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 sympathetic at first, as you said, they're almost not even villains at first. But with mm-hmm. the introduction of Bane. There's no question where he's coming from. I mean, it's not even like the Joker, who's played it for comedic value, even though he's trying to kill Batman all the time. But with Bane, it's, you know, he's basically like, I'm coming to America, I'm going to study the Batman, and I'm going to break the Batman. And that's it with him. You know, again, there's just no question where he's coming from. He is not a good guy. I mean, what's his fee? It's like $5 million to kill people? I mean, yeah. this this is an expert assassin. You're, when you're getting paid five million a hit, you, yeah, you're you're taking out like presidents and members of the <laughs> UN and big time players. So, yeah, yeah, this is this is a big bad dude. And I like the fact that they um, 
did that. They didn't try to make him sympathetic at all, and they stayed very true to what the character is. You know, they didn't sugarcoat it at all. I mean, he's called an assassin. He calls himself a sniper. At one point, uh, he he tricks Batman into answering a telephone, and he says something like, "Were I com- were I a common were I a common sniper, you wouldn't have made it to the telephone." I mean, right mm-hmm. there, he just admitted he could have blown Batman's skull off. Like, whoa, that's nasty. And so so mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I just love Bane in this episode because every time you see him, you fear for your own life. <laughs> it's like, it's like, wow! What is this guy going to do to Batman when he finally meets him, you know, face to face? Just every scene he's in, it's just, wow! This guy is scary. <laughs> um, you know, and you got, of course, plenty of parallels between this and uh, Nightfall, the comic arc. Uh, he, you know, he repeatedly says that he's going to break him, which is his tagline, I guess, when he when it applies to Batman. Because, um, of course, for those of you that don't know, in the comics, he did break Bruce Wayne's back. But I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you know that. So, Yeah, probably. But I just said that for, like, the one person who didn't know. <laughs> and don't feel ashamed if you um, don't know. That's okay. I'm not making fun. Nah. But, you know, you should know because it's important. It is. I mean, that's a big part of the, you know, the modern Batman mythos is that, you know, he was... Basically, Batman was getting all high and mighty and unbeatable, and along comes this giant Cuban luchador-looking guy that literally snaps him in two after testing him for days or weeks on end. You know, Bane was, like, huge back in the day. And, you know, what he did to Batman, no other villain had really done. So it was was a very interesting storyline. It dragged on for too long. Yeah, unfortunately. they, They stumbled along the way. But the idea behind it and the initial execution of it was really good. And along those same lines, I would really like to see them take Nightfall and turn that into one of these DC animated movies that they're doing. Like the Superman Doomsday, the forthcoming New Frontier, and all those. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, I like this episode, and I like the fact that they're able to get all that story into just, you know, 22 minutes. But think about how much more epic this would have been if this were a two- or a three-parter. This would have been really big. I mean, they could have mm-hmm. done the whole Nightfall thing, but maybe they felt it was a little too dark to do back then. But they could do it yeah. now. You know, again, it's set out of continuity. It's not part of the DCAU. So you're reintroducing this, you know, you're introducing this new Batman. You're reintroducing Bane, you know, and you could just do the whole thing where he breaks everybody out of Arkham. Because that's what he did, if I remember correctly, right? He broke everybody out of Arkham, basically, to test Batman, to wear him down, figured out who Batman was, broke into the mansion, busted him up. That could be like the first half an hour-ish, 40-ish minutes of the movie. And then we get the whole Jean-Paul Valley, Azrael is Batman thing, Bruce's client. If they wanted to, they could leave all that out, actually. And But then they could just make it about Bruce's, you know, uh, recovery. You know, mm-hmm. him taking the mantle back as Gotham was left unprotected or underprotected because, you know, Nightwing and, you know, Batgirl and Robin and Catwoman would have picked up the some slack. But still, if you're missing Batman, you're missing a big crucial element. And then at the end, we get this final fight between Batman and Bane. That would make for a great, mature DC animated movie. And I really hope they, they do it. I really do. Because uh, a 90 to 
you know, 120 minute movie would be great for those characters and be a great way to tell that story. Well, and along those lines, I've I've said this for for I don't know how long now. I want Bane in a Christopher Nolan directed Batman movie because the only Bane that we've ever seen in live action is the hideous, just pathetic incarnation in Batman and Robin. And it's like it was just a disgrace what they what they did to Bane in, in that movie. I want I really, really want to see Bane in one of the new Batman live action movies. Because it you know, he's such a a great, intelligent character. I think they could he doesn't even have to be the main villain. I, I think they could they could have him be a secondary villain in there somewhere. No, you... I, I, sh- I I I have I have faith in Nolan's uh, directing ability. I had faith in Sam Raimi's, and then we got Spider-Man Three. Hey, <laughs> now now. <laughs> what did you like Spider-Man Three? No, God oh, no. Okay, the way you said that, you scared me. No, no, no. I'm just saying that's a, two totally different franchises and people. <laughs> well, I know, but I'm just saying those first two Spider-Man films were really good. And then the third one was a total clusterfuck. Yeah. And, you know, the first uh, Nolan-directed Batman film film was really good. I can't comment about the next one. You know, once it comes out, you know, if it's great, I'll say then these two were really good, too. But then I'm going to be fearful that he's going to stumble in the third one. I think if you start adding way too many villains, that's what's going to happen. So if they're going to do Bane, I think they're going to have to wait for, like, the fourth film. Well, look at how many... They did have multiple villains in the first one, too. They had... Uh, you know, Scarecrow, Rachel Ghoul. Um, yeah, pardon me, I forgot about that. So, I mean, you know, they can do it. It's it just takes you know effort, mm-hmm. and I and I you know just the point remains. I just really want to see Bane as he was meant to be live action, or as you said, hell, just do a a new uh, direct to DVD movie like Superman Doomsday. Hopefully, yes. hopefully you've done better than Superman Doomsday, but I digress. See now, the the, the reason I'm a little leery about them bringing Bane to the big screen, to to live action, is because can you pull that off? Can you pull off someone injecting themselves with an instant super steroid? You can do it in a cartoon. You can do it in a comic. But in a movie, I don't know if that would work, if people would buy it. Do you see see what I'm getting at there? I do. I mean, I, I would be content if they made Bane without the Venom. Now, before you freak out, that's you, James, and everybody else. <laughs> Let me finish my thought here. They, Bane could have been previously injected with a steroid called Venom, or whatever they want to call it, okay? And that's why he's so big. That's why he's so strong. And his strength never increases, but it also never decreases. Right. Do you see where I'm coming from? So yeah. this way he's not all wired up and constantly injecting himself. He has the drug in him, but he's not constantly wearing it, constantly dialing it up. Because I just don't know if people are going to believe someone can twist the dial and instantly, you know, they're ten times bigger and stronger than Jesus. Yeah, I do agree with you. Um, it can be done. You can de- you can change villains' uh, origins. Look what, I mean, look, like Scarecrow and Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. I mean... They basically put took Jeremiah Arkham and uh, and Jonathan Crane and put them into and made them one person, which and it was okay. It I thought it worked really well. So you can def, yeah, I could buy that with Bane being just at one time years and years ago was injected with this shit and that's what he looks like now. 
Right. I mean, if if they established the whole thing where he was experimented on over and over, that it wasn't just one shot that he got, you know? We're not talking Captain America getting one shot, being bombarded with radiation, and then he's, you know, super fit, super soldier, you know? We're talking about experimented on for years, drugs and drugs and drugs and training and things like that that made him what he is. Mm-hmm. That's That would work for me. You know, yeah, it would get rid of the tubing, which is kind of an integral part of the character, but I think that would serve to actually help the story because whenever Batman fights Bane, it always falls on cutting the wire, and that's stopping the, the flow mm-hmm. of, of the drug. And it's like, okay, how many times can you do that? It gets cliché, but if you take the tubing out then that you can't even do that. You see? So mm-hmm. if, if done that way, I would buy Bane for the big screen. But otherwise, I, I don't think I would, and I don't think the general audience would either. So, Okay, so getting but back in, to the Anyways, episode. yeah, about this episode. <laughs> so our however many minute tangent we just went on. Um, <clears throat> one thing I, I, was, I have to question here, like I said, I have a, a, a several little nitpicks with this, uh, with this episode. One of them is... Nobody notices an eight-foot-tall guy with a luchador mask on a small jet? <laughs> yeah, when he's getting off, the one stewardess looks at him like, I didn't notice you before. Oh, my, <laughs> you're scary. It's like, honey, how long was he on this airplane? You, there's no way you're going to miss him. He's, mm. he's one guy. He's taking up a whole row, you know? <laughs> yeah. My next question is, is Rupert Thorne the only guy in Gotham with $5 million to burn on killing Batman? It's like they automatically think, oh, whoop, it's Rupert Thorne. In the you know in the back cave when they're oh uh, yeah it's like oh we gotta we we wonder who has five million dollars and who wants to kill me and before the, you know and before that Alfred had a great line with uh, when Batman said hmm who would want me dead that badly and Alfred's like oh that line's forming around the blocks sir <laughs> yeah um, but yeah but anyway so he says okay so who has five million dollars to burn. It's like the automatic. Alfred just like hands him a newspaper that says Rupert Thorne. That he did just irk pulls me. it out of his pocket. Yeah, that just that reaches into his coat. Here you go, sir. Mm-hmm. That irked me. It really did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what I was getting to. Where I said, you know, this would work as a two-parter because Batman could have had some false leads. He went. Maybe he goes after Two Face. Maybe Two Face is out of Arkham and he's got some money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he thinks, hey, have you hired this guy? I don't know who that guy is. Two Face could say, you know. Um, he goes after Strom. He goes after another mob boss. And this way, you know, this way he's not just cutting to the chase and getting right to Thorn. I see. I see what you're where you're coming from. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to what I liked, uh, when Bane first makes his makes his first steroid injection appearance, when he just beats the hell out of Killer Croc, yeah. that was creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in a good way. It was really, really cool. Because you got Croc getting ready to ambush Batman and Robin and kill them, and then all of a sudden this huge behemoth busts through the wall behind him, and he's like, "the the the bat is mine to destroy" or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, Croc's like, "Over my dead body." So Bane just says, "As you wish," and and they don't show him. I mean, they show him partially pumping up, but then they quickly cut to shadow and they show Killer Croc's face like, "Oh shit." <laughs> That was such a cool little 30 seconds there. Um. But while we're speaking about Croc, where did he get a gang? Croc's <laughs> never needed a gang before. He's always been a very hands-on criminal. 
Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's got this whole gang following him. And, I mean, it was sort of cool to see Croc as a leader because, again, that shows that he's not the dumb Croc. Mm-hmm. If he's smart enough to, to have cobbled together a gang, he's smart enough to actually lead these guys into this heist. So I, I, I like that, but it makes me still scratch my head and go, he's never had one before. He did kind of look cool in that uh, gangster get-up, though, didn't he? Yeah, he did, with, <laughs> the, with the trench coat and the hat. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not something you'd ever expect to see Croc wearing. <laughs> not, no, not heading into a heist. No. You know, maybe walking down the street, he might put it on to kind of blend in. But into a heist, what the hell does Croc care? Yeah. Um, another little funny moment, though, uh, with Alfred was mm-hmm. when uh, after Bane destroys the Batmobile, basically, <laughs> they go back to the Batcave, and Alfred—I can't remember what Alfred says—but uh, Bat- you have a ding in your door. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, then, and then Bruce is like, "He trashed my car, Alfred." Between two guys, that's per- real personal. <laughs> It's like I'm watching Grease. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, how about the uh, Hurricane Rana that Batman busts out on Bane when they yeah, start see, fighting? That's the thing. That, that's one of my gripes with this episode. Is when <laughs> Batman and Bane really have their knockdown dragout fight, it turns into a wrestling match because Bane looks like not just a wrestler, but a luchador. Okay, the world's largest luchador, but he still looks like a luchador. <laughs> now... I like because Bane throws Batman into the the railing of the ship they're on, but yeah. instead of Batman's back breaking against you know the steel or iron cables, it bends like a like a wrestling ring's ropes. Yeah, and it flings him back into Bane, and they start doing wrestling moves on each other. I know it basically amounted to him Irish whipping him. Exactly, because <laughs> he, he clotheslined him, didn't he? Yeah, and he yeah. comes back and clotheslines him, and that's what you do after you Irish whip someone. Bang, you clothesline him, and it's like. We didn't need to see wrestling just because Bane looks like a wrestler. And that, that it's funny, but it's a little irksome. See, I could see a couple of things here and there. Honestly, I can excuse the clothesline because, you know, damn. I mean, it's, if Bane clotheslines you, you're not going to get up. Well, a clothesline, I mean, that, that's a, you can use that in a fight. I yeah. Mean, you know, someone's coming at you and you just hit them with your bicep. Or you hit them with your forearm, and that's a, that pretty much amounts to a clothesline. If done, you know, in a, if you have your arm in a particular position. Yeah, you know? and even Martian Manhunter does it later on in Justice League too. So right, so I'm willing to buy that. But it's the other things. That, I mean, they go beyond just clotheslines and throwing someone into the rope, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That that those are the things that make me go, ugh. Another thing that I I kind of have to wonder about this episode is at the very end, you know, Batman. Basically, you know, busts into Rupert Thorne's office, and you know he plays the tape of Candace, basically saying that, oh, you know, you can kill Thorne, and then you and I will run the city. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically leaves Candace there to die because yeah. you know Rupert Thorne is going to offer, mm-hmm. and and he leaves Bane on the floor, yeah, uh, he, just to do whatever he wants, really, because he's still conscious. He's mm-hmm. you know he's beaten and he's back to normal. Human, a normal human size, but you know, he he just let a mass murderer go free, mm-hmm. and he allow he's going to allow another murder to take place. Essentially, that and really really irked me. I I, I agree with you one hundred percent, but I have to try to justify it. The only way I can do that is to say that the cops were hot on his heels. 
like Batman had called Gordon. He picked up the red phone and said, hey, you got to get down to Thorne's Tower because I'm going to have Bane there for you. So you can arrest him, you can arrest Thorne, and you can get Candace too. So this way everybody goes to jail and Candace is still living. She's not in a ditch, you know. <laughs> that's, that's the only way I can justify it. Granted, we don't see it. We don't see the phone call. We don't see the police raiding the building. But I have to throw it out there. Do I think that's what happened? No. no. But it might have. <laughs> but speaking of Bane, uh, when you know when he finally, when Batman finally you know rams the batarang into the box controlling the venom, wow, that was gruesome, wasn't it? <laughs> Very much so. I mean, that whole venom overload thing. I mean, what I liked most about it is that you can actually hear Bane's heart beating. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was supposed to be the venom pumping, but I took it to be his heart beating to the point of almost explosion. Yeah. And, you know, because when, you know, Batman, he finally cuts the wire, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he cuts, yeah, he cuts the tube. Rips it out of his head. Right, that's what he does. And, you know, his heart slows down and as he as he shrinks back down to his, his normal size. And uh, I, I thought it was a really cool sound effect that they threw in there. Again, yes. whether it was supposed to be the liquid pumping or actually his his heart beating, you know, interpret it how you want. But either way, it was an extremely cool sound effect because it showed you how hectic that scene was. If if the visual didn't tell you, the sound effect was surely telling you. Absolutely, and you can and he he does nothing but scream. Basically, it's like and they get it gets louder and louder. He's like ah ah ah, yeah. just and it, you know, you just looking at it and. As his body is continually getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I, I started my body started to ache. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just I was like, oh no! <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the stretch marks he's going to have? <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I think that'd be the least of his worries. Yeah, honestly, yeah. though. <laughs> now, now, who is it that voices Bane? Because I really like Bane's voice. That do you know would... who that is off the top of your head? Ah, that's yeah, shit. Henry Silva. Okay, do, what do we know him from? Has he done anything else? Um, I mean, I know he's done other things, but anything else we'd recognize? Um, not that I think, not that I can recall. But, you know, we do get a new, another person voicing Bane later on. No, it's not the same guy when he comes back and... No, I, I'm almost I'm almost 100% sure we have a different Bane next time he shows up in, uh, I guess it's Gotham Knights. Because the next time he shows up would be... Uh... Over the Edge. No, not Over the Edge. Yeah, Over the Edge. Yeah, he shows up in Over the Edge, and then he shows up in uh, the the Superman-Batman crossover episode where Brainiac t- uh, takes over Bruce's mind. Yeah. But huh. uh, I, I'm I'm almost positive it's a different voice actor. Now that I'm th- now that I think about it, yeah, his voice may be a little different. I'm trying to compare the two in my mind. Oh, but. Something I have to ask about this episode is that at, at one point, you know, Robin gets kidnapped by Bane, and, you know, it's basically a trap to lure Batman in. And, Bat, you know, they, what they do is they tie, you know, they tie Robin up, they've got his arms wrapped up in the chain, they've got a weight on his feet, and they're filling up the tanker that they're in, so if Batman doesn't save Robin in time, he's going to drown, okay? Mm-hmm. So, again, not Batman being drowned, but a 
member of the Bat family being around. So, anyways, Batman frees Robin's feet, and then he frees his arms, so Robin's okay in the water, and Batman gets out to go fight Bane, because Robin can now swim away at this point. Never mind that his arms might be popped out of his sockets, and he might just sink to the bottom and drown. But anyways, Batman leaves him. As we see there in the episode, he's not opposed to just leaving people to their own, you know, demise. <laughs> so, as Batman climbs away... Um, Robin's in the water, and Candace is up on the on the deck, and he's like, come here, sweetheart. And then she just, like, dives in. Why does Candace dive into the water to fight Robin? I did not understand that sequence at all. I have no, I have no explanation. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's not like we saw some tension with them earlier. It's just all of a sudden she's like, okay, just takes off her shoes and just dives into this water to beat up, a, you know, a, a very trained crime fighter. And granted, she holds her own, actually. But mm-hmm. you, can, you can chalk that up to Robin having been tied up and his arms are probably really tired. So, yeah, 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 you can, you can, you can say it's that if you want. But I still don't get why she jumped in anyways. I mean, this is someone who's connected to the mob. She would have, I mean, we see her run away later on. Because mm-hmm. after after that fight, she's soaking wet, and she goes back to Thorn. And in fact, in fact, when Batman confronts her in front of Thorn, she's still soaking wet. So I, I just don't get why she just didn't run away right then and there. I mean, maybe you could claim it was to keep Robin occupied while Batman fought Bane. But they could have done it in other ways. They could have... Well, they could have had... Robin chasing after her. Right, exactly. He could have been following her. And just, we didn't even need to see the chase. He just follows her off screen. You know, we could have, um, when Bane was, you know, they could have said that Robin was really injured. Bane roughed him up, and then, um, you know, when he, when he hung him from the, from the chains, maybe when Robin got out of, by the time he got out of the water, uh, the fight was already over, and it just took him a long time to get out because he was hurt so bad. You understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many ways around it. They just didn't need to to, to, to have her fight him to, to keep him out of the picture. So. Yeah. But one of the things I really did dig about the, uh, the abduction of Robin by Bane is Bane's respect for Robin. When he captures him, he says something like, you have such a warrior's heart for such a small man or something like that? Yeah. What's the line? I'm kind of I'm messing um, it up. I want to say he says, uh, you have such a, a large heart for or such... God, what the hell does he say? But it's a very cool line. Yeah, uh, very it's respectful. Very respectful, yeah. Um, for such a small body. Like, something Such like a large that. heart for such a small... Body or yeah, I'm butchering it too. I don't know, but, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. I mean, you see the point. It's that even though Bane is going to kill these guys, or at least that's his plan, he still has respect for his prey, and that's just that's a you know we're not supposed to feel sympathetic for this character at all. But I don't know. I just thought it was a neat little bit of characterization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I don't feel sympathetic for him, but in an odd way, I kind of respect him because he has respect for these people, if that right. makes sense. I don't know if yeah, it does, I, but I'm hoping it does. Yeah, I, I, get your, I get what you're trying to say, and hopefully the audience does too. Do I have any other notes about this one? You know, the only other note I really have about this one is that earlier we mentioned that scene where Alfred just pulls the newspaper out of his jacket, and he shows it to Batman. Mm. And this is supposed to let Batman know, oh, it's Rupert Thorne that's trying to kill you. If you actually pause the DVD and zoom in on the newspaper to look at the text that's written there, now normally it would just be like scribble. There would be no actual text. 
besides the headline. Mm-hmm. But there's actual text there, and it's just repeating over and over. And I think it was something that was like gleaned from a textbook. It was something about men and women, or more specifically, it says males and females. If you get a chance, pop it back in, go to that scene, pause it, and zoom in, and you'll see it's... <clears throat> pardon me. I actually thought real briefly that it was something from like a sex sexual education book <laughs> like n- nothing pornographic just explaining the technical ways of how babies are made that's that's the vibe i got from it at first but from the little words i could glean from it i, I don't think that's really what was going on there but it was just really weird I'll, i will definitely go back and look at that i think there's another point in this episode. Yes, there is, because we see another newspaper in this episode where it happens again, but I didn't pause it and zoom in to see if it was the same text or different text or if it was text at all. Okay, so do you want to move on to our scores then? Yeah, sure. Okay, let me flip back here. So, the terrible trio. Zero. Yeah, pretty much. In this episode, this episode is lucky I didn't grade it lower. <laughs> I want to say, initially I gave this one a one because I wasn't sure if we could give out zeros. Once we established that we could give out zeros, I did bring it down. So, James, what do you give Harley Quinade, Harley Quinade, however you would pronounce that? I will give the ambiguously titled episode a seven out of ten. I'm going to give that one a six. I know I had a lot of gripes about it, but as we talked it through... Initially, I graded it a five, is basically what I'm trying to say. But as we mm-hmm. talked it through, I boosted it up a point because I do realize I was being harsh on it because of the terrible trio, because I was still angry. And, you know, I, those, those, the problems I had with the logic, too, yeah. was kind of keeping it down. But I said, ah, you know what? In the end, it is still a fun episode, so I'll boost it up a little. Okay, all that rambling aside, what about <laughs> time out of joint? For pleasantly surprising me in that. Like I said, I used to not like this episode, or, or as far as I can remember. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5. I give this one a 5, actually. Okay. So then, Catwalk? Uh, right down the middle of 5. Like I said, it's just there. I'm torn. I, I, I wrote a 6 for this one. But you know what? I'm going to bump that down to a 5. So then, Bane. Uh, 7.5. For me, that's a 7. You seem to have a ding in your door, sir. He trashed my car, Alfred. Between a couple of guys, that's real personal. Nice to see you haven't lost your sense of humor in the face of adversity. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being Baby Doll, The Lion and the Unicorn, Showdown, Riddler's Reform, and Second Chance. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 